Hello! It is Friday. Uh, what is it? May 1st. This is really weird that it's May. I'm Dan Blewett. I'm your co-host here on the Morning Brushback Podcast. I'm joined by my co-conspirator, Bobby Stevens. Bobby, how are you? Doing good. It's nice out in Chicago today. It's not nice out over here. It's been raining. It rained all day yesterday. It rained all day today. Uh, we have a great guest today, Bill Moneyball. <laughs> Bill Moneyball Murphy. That's his uh, his Twitter handle. It's funny, but Bill Murphy was a uh, former major league pitcher. Uh, was in the Money Moneyball draft by the Oakland A's. So interesting story there. Also played a ton of time in the um, Japan leagues. I don't know why I just said it like that. <laughs> I was going to say Chinese league in my head. Uh, Murph spent time <laughs> over in Japan and Taiwan. Um, after his major league career was done, he, he and I were teammates in uh, Camden, New Jersey for uh, one, maybe parts of two seasons. It blurs together. Um, but a very accomplished pitcher, spent a lot of time overseas, has a really interesting story. So he's going to be on the show in just a couple of minutes. But Bobby, we've got some new things going on. What's going on with the show? Well, if everyone hasn't already noticed, Dan forgot how to host a podcast, so I'll have to yeah. take over now. <laughs> I, I have, uh, yes. We're switching switching Tuesday to, to Tuesdays and Fridays, maybe a little bit of a different format, uh, talk on some some more current events, have some guests on, you know, but but a little bit a little bit less frequent, a little bit more quality. Well, the quality is going to hopefully continue to be the same it's gonna be superb, better superb. it's gonna be better quality we're gonna get we're gonna get dan some editing lessons it's gonna be amazing exactly no but we uh we're dropping down two days a week so we can do some more things with the podcast right now we have a lot of clips and a lot of uh little pieces of content from each show that we want to kind of disseminate and, and as a two-man show we're just sort of like running a little thin so like bobby said the quality of the overall Everything we put out, we believe on Twitter and YouTube and, and here in podcast land, for those of you listening there, will just be a little bit better. But everything else about the show is going to continue. And also, for those of you who have less, left us a review on iTunes, I greatly appreciate it. I saw a couple really uh, positive ones today, so thank you. And if you are listening out there uh, and you feel compelled to take the time, you know, 30 seconds during the show today to leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify, that would mean a lot. It, you know, it really helps when people can read a review and say, oh, this podcast is terrible. I don't want to listen to this. Or it's wonderful, and I should definitely give it a try. So please, if you're listening on iTunes or, or Spotify today, take the time to write us a quick review um, or just hit the four or five stars button, whatever you want. It doesn't have to be five stars. Like We it get it. We might, be, not, we might not be five stars. Who reviews that aren't one or five stars? That's true. You either it's, had either a, trash, if it, it's either trash it either or it's either great. Good or it, it was either good or it was awful. Agreed. Agreed. Well, without further ado, that was all we really wanted to cover here in a little bit of housekeeping. Um, but again, thank you for joining us on the show, and we're going to welcome Bill Murphy. Bill, come on in. Come on in here, man. He's been just hiding. This is like a it's like a real talk show. This when is exciting. Someone jumps on. What's up, guys? Good morning. Good morning. So you're joining us from, uh, is it Burbank? That's right. Sunny Southern California. Good for you. Have you uh, been privy to this like blue electric waves that they're having over on in the ocean? Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I don't go near the water, dude. I'm, <laughs> as you can tell, I'm pretty pale individual. Bill is a ginger. Some box get expensive, very expensive. <laughs> um, if you're watching, you can't, 
You could you could find so just wear long sleeves. Well, yes, I I did that for a long time, and then something decided to grow on the back of my neck, and then just about a year ago, I had like about four surgeries. They just cut on my neck, dude. I'm over the sun. It's on probation. I would say that you're a friendly ghost, but that's only like half the time. Your your nature is not the friendliest ghost. You're like a no, I like curmudgeon, ghost. Yeah, I like, I like to sneak in the, in the shadows. One of my favorite. Um, I'll share a quick Bill Murphy story. So when we played together, Bill had a a pretty big, very red beard. I don't remember what your haircut was, but I do remember the day. The day that you came in and you had completely shaved your head, which I don't think was, that's why I think you had a haircut at the time, but I could be wrong. He co- comes in and completely shaved his head, completely shaved his beard. And like, we were shook. Like, we just like didn't know what to do. You you were almost unrecognizable. I think you walked past a lot of people in the clubhouse at first and it looked like you're just about to be shot up out of a cannon. Like you're ready to be lubed up and shot. It, ha- and it happens every time. You're prime for the circus. So my head's always shaved, right? The problem is I always have a beard. So just like a month ago, six weeks ago, I had a big one, but I had to wear a mask, right? So I had to cut it. But if I were to shave my beard right now, I look like baby Huey. <laughs> I am unrecognizable. Unrec- <laughs> it was disturbing. I mean, if we're, if we're going to be honest, it was it was disturbing. Um, so Murph, one of the things in the news, uh, obviously we've been trying trying to get baseball back. And, you know, there's been some glimpses, uh, glimpses of, I guess, Taiwanese baseball um, on Twitter. And you play in Taiwan. You're wearing a, what is that team? The 7-Eleven Lions. That's where I went when we first played together. I think I was just coming off a of surgery. <laughs> I threw one game at the end of the year, the entire year, and they called me. And the next, next thing you know, I was on a flight to Taiwan, and I had thrown a total of four innings the entire year good good yeah and for those of you i was so murph had just joined my team so we were teammates and we were road roommates for like one road trip and what ball and road trip one week one road trip and then he's like hey blow it i just got this offer to go play in taiwan for like 14 grand for the month should i do it and i'm like it was that easy for you like and that that much money i'm like can i impersonate you uh and you're like ah, i guess i'll do it you just like go to the bathroom like wipe your butt with a 20 dollar bill i guess but um well no you gotta understand like i literally the year you're before, not healthy you're not healthy i was not healthy i mean i literally faced hitters i flew out to camden because you guys needed a pitcher and they're like hey we'll fly you out here and throw a bullpen if, if we think you look good then finished the season with us came out there through a bullpen they're like okay you're gonna pitch the first game in sugarland texas and i'm like what and they're like yep so i went out there through i think four innings and next you know i had an email it was taiwan and i'm just like what and then i was i just met that i'm like what do you think you think i should just go and attempt blowing out my arm because they still had two months left of the season we had maybe three weeks so i was just like all right i'll do it and i just next thing you know i was like i need to stay for one more game 
in Sugarland. There's seven game road trip there, right? Yeah, something like that. Pitched mm-hmm. the first, pitched the first game, and then pitched I think the last game, and went six innings. Next morning, was on a flight to Taiwan. So, how did you do in Taiwan? That's the real question. Uh, actually, well, actually, I did fine. I mean, um, which was a shocker too, right? Because they were in a playoff race, so I got there, and I knew a guy, Nelson Figueroa. He played a little bit in the big leagues. Um, I played with him with the Blue Jays, and I was shocked to see somebody I knew. I I didn't know anything about the uh, Taiwanese league, and it was really awkward when I first got there because they brought me there, and Nelson had been there for a couple years, and he got released, and then he stayed there the entire time and was fighting with the team about his release and getting paid money. So it was a little awkward, but I, I pitched fine. I mean, I think I got roughed up a couple times, but it was pretty pretty intense, real hot, a lot of travel. This is a tough there's, only, there's only six teams in the Taiwanese league, if, uh, if I yeah, remember Yeah, 7-11, the Sheets, the Sheets, Hyenas, the Wawa, Gooses, the what's – another, what's another gas station I can rattle off? Amico, yeah, the Amico Knights. That's pretty much the name of the jail. and it was a, it's a sketchy place to be. Well, so talk a little bit about the the difference because you played in Japan, and you won a ring there, which is super cool. Um, and like Taiwan plays pays really well for, especially compared to like the regular minor leagues, like guys there. What's the, what's the typical pay pay scale in Taiwan? Well, you have to understand. So when you go and play overseas, no matter where you go, even if it's um, going down south, they everything's very hush-hush, right? No one really knows what you're getting paid. They don't want you to tell anybody because that's just how contracts stack, right? So my first experience was in Japan. And you want to go into like the whole Japan thing or do you want to just talk? Let's go into comparisons both. Of them? Yeah. Let's talk about both. Okay. All right. So Japan was like, it was, I was just coming off of is a 2009 year. I was going to get married and, um, I, we were literally at a rehearsal for our, my wife and I's wedding. And I got a phone call and they're like, Hey, can you go to Japan tomorrow? I'm like, what? And I'm like, they're like, we, we want to try you out, see if you make the team. And I'm like, I can go um, in two weeks after I get, you know, after I get married. And they're like, okay, we'll, we'll book a flight for you. I'm like, oh, this is weird. So I called my agent. It was like, hey, can I go to Japan? He's like, yeah, just go. I'm like, but you don't have to tell a team. I'm on the 40-man roster. I'm going to go try out with another team. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, I don't think we should do that. So he made a phone call. And they said, yeah, go ahead. Went there, tried out. Boom, they sent me a contract. I signed it that day. So it was, it was a pretty fast thing. They move fast with everything when it's off season. In season, it's different. But So you were on the 40-man like, roster. Were you? Where did you finish the prior season? The prior season, I finished in AAA. So you, did uh, you have, were you up and down? Were it, you know – because I know, you know, guys I talk to that go to or that I play with that ended up going to Japan or overseas, you know, there's always some kind of circumstance where yeah. that's always a, a, an option that seems better. 
so how it works is so there's like two options. There's mid season and off season. So 2008, 2009, I, I was in the big leagues to start the year with the Blue Jays, and then finished up back in the minor leagues. Okay, so no matter what, they own my rights because I'm on the 40 man. Right. So they had to make a decision with me, anyways, because I already had reached my number of years that you're allowed to be on the roster without taking up a spot. So they have to make a decision, either 25 man roster, or they have to put you on waivers and then either release you or somebody can pick you up. That's the easiest way to go because the team is like, well, we can get something or nothing, but either way, we have to make a decision anyways. Right. You're out of options. You're right. You're out of options. So the team had no problem. They let me go. And I don't even think our, the Blue Jays wanted anything. They're like, well, we weren't going to keep him. We don't want to stop Bill from going to play. So please go, you know, now being there, um, my first year, we were trying, you, they try to get up players all, all year. And we ended up bringing Hayden Penn halfway through the year. And we don't know anything about it. All of a sudden, hey, we got a new guy coming. And he shows up. And then you hear the story because the player's going to tell you. Right. So they, they negotiated with Hayden and, um, and his team, I think Baltimore at the time, forever. And I think Baltimore wanted a million dollars just to, to get rid of Hayden. And I think they ended up reaching an agreement for a few hundred thousand dollars just to purchase Hayden for the rest of the season. Bobby, yeah, that, loves sounds the like, that sounds like, I was going to say, that sounds like a very Baltimore thing to do. Let's, what's the normal going rate? A couple of hundred thousand? Give us a million. No, but that's common because they know they're looking for people to push them into the playoffs. You just don't come over if your team's not going to go into the playoffs. Well, because, yeah. yeah, and talk about because people don't realize that there's only so many uh, foreign spots that you can have taking up a roster, right? And is it in Japan, is it two? You only have two non native uh, players or non citizens? You yeah. can have two on the, I think it's two on the active roster, but Japan has a floating roster. Okay. Right. So, um, the starting pitchers, when they're not pitching, you are not active. I mean, obviously it could change by now, but I don't think so. They're usually pretty good about sticking with everything they do their way. Right. Now, does so your active roster in Japan is your act is your active roster still 25. I think it might be 26. And then they, but they'll travel with maybe thirty guys, thirty-two guys, as a floating no. roster. Travel with forty. So that's interesting mm-hmm. because it's a big bus. Not all the, not all the time, but so every you don't travel really together, right? You everyone takes the bullet train and they just show up randomly <laughs> on the way there. <laughs> um, but you know you have scheduled times because the way it is is like BP there too. It's a rolling BP. So if we have BP here in the States that start at 315, they, they'll start the first group at 315. And then guys will start filtering into the clubhouse from home, maybe at four o'clock because they're not BPs not until 430. So it's, it's really weird with those kind of things. But everything starts with 
so they bring guys up from the minor leagues that just got done playing all day. They'll show up at the ball, uh, our ballpark. We'll take BP, all kinds of stuff. And then they say, oh, we're going to use you today. We're going to use you today. You guys stay. The rest of you guys can go ahead and go home. So it's, it's a lot of people that could be in the clubhouse at one time. Hmm. It's interesting, now, though. It's an interesting, uh, you know, dynamic. It's a lot different than what we do here. It seems as a player, I feel like I'd like it more opportunity, like more people, you know, if, especially if you're not one of the guys, if you're not the starting shortstop, you still have a chance to be there based on whatever the manager feels that day. You do. And the thing is, is that they have one minor league team. Okay. And that consists of a hundred guys. And oh that's God. the same thing. So you'll go to practice there in the minor leagues and there's just people everywhere. There's 50 pitchers running all kinds of stuff. And then everybody eats lunch. And then whoever's on the roster that day stays, everybody else sleeps. And that's just how they operate because Japan's not a big place. It's like the size of California. So it's probably smaller and they don't, there's not very much space. So the minor league complexes are tiny and they all live in like dorms until you get older. And then if you have a family, you can, you can leave, but majority of them all stay in dorms. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, so did, were you counted against the roster limit, even though you're a ginger and you don't have a soul? I mean, is there, how does that so work? There's a rule. There's a rule for foreign players, any guy jeans, right? So I think it's like five total. It might not even be five, but obviously some of those guys could be in the minor leagues. They could be young guys from Latin countries usually or uh, other Asian countries, and they're in the minor leagues. So you can have, I think, three guys on the the main roster, but I think one has to be unactive. So as two, usually they have starting pitchers. You're always unactive because I'll pitch one day and then I'm not even allowed to be in the dugout the next day. I, the game starts, you go work out. How do you feel about that? Chamber. Do you feel sad or feel happy? It's it's weird, right? It's weird because you're in the clubhouse. You, I mean, you could stick your head out of the clubhouse, no uniform, can't go in the dugout. Um, but you get a lot of stuff done afterwards, sauna. And then you got to go home, and that's the fifth inning. Just take off. Road games, stretch, take BP, play catch, boom. Get on the train, go somewhere else. Say, so what's the road? What's the travel like? Are you guys staying in any other towns? Is it the? Is that bullet train just after the game, shoot back home, go back the next day? No, you play. You know your series. You'll stay in those towns in a hotel. Um, the thing is, is that everyone wants to leave at different times. The bullet train, like when we're going somewhere further usually that everyone's on the same bullet train but they run back to back to back so it's not that big of a deal so me and hayden and uh brian corey we would all travel together with our interpreter we would meet him at the train station in tokyo the central train station and then we would just go to our destination so the local trains where you can just hit tokyo and then you just shoot you off to other areas in tokyo you know, you're only like an hour and a half away. And then taxis, dude, like they use taxis nonstop. So they have like, they just give our interpreter a piece of paper and they hand it to the taxi drivers like, oh, okay. And they just write down 
what it is and then they'll turn it in to I don't even know who and they then bam it's over <laughs> hmm. just to just turn it into just throw it in the air someone will find it they'll pay you I'm not kidding dude it's like a piece of everything do everything on a piece of paper that will just have like total and then the I don't know and they just write it down and I think they just hand it off to like the secretary of the team like they know when you're coming so they're there Hmm. So it's you know you're talking like you took you have an interpreter and everything. I mean, people don't really re- realize when these guys from these younger guys from the islands come or you know from South America wherever they're coming from. That's what it's like when they come here. They but they don't get an interpreter for English. They just basically like throw them in the wild, yeah, figure wear, it out, wear it, yeah, wear it. Yeah. So how different was it? I mean, did you learn some some Japanese? Uh, maybe a little bit, obviously, but you know how hard was it to just everyday life? It's actually very easy. Um, yeah, in your face, Bob. <clears throat> Look, well, he's, big, he's redhead. He's good at stuff. <laughs> it's the big leagues in Japan, right? So, what does that even mean? Uh, except okay, this is the difference, okay? The big leagues in Japan. You play good, they treat you really good. You play bad, they treat you really bad. There's no, <laughs> Love it. There's it's like, like New, there's it's no like New York. Between. Right. So... If you're doing well, like, they don't do anything for you. The people in the community, um, you know, you, you go to a restaurant, you're intimidated because they'll either have a picture. You can't read anything. But once you go to a same place and go to another place, they start to know you. They know what you want. Your interpreter comes. And the, the language, they try to teach you as much as they can. And... Um, you know, my wife is, is uh, Latin, so she speaks Spanish. And this it's weird because the Latin players, they adapt to Japanese very quick. So she is adapting to Japanese really quick, which is kind of neat. Is they have like kind of like the same pronunciation, the breakdown words. So they can they have a quicker time of saying something because they already know how to, you know, roll their tongue the way it's supposed to go and stuff like that. It's kind of, it's kind of weird. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause I was in Turkey for a month. That was my only like profoundly different, like language barrier experience. And I remember I was just like trying to help out one day. It's like two or three weeks in and I was taking roll for like the morning workouts and like the girls were coming up and giving, um, give me their name. And I like, I like couldn't even start to write down their name. Like they said their name and I'm like, I don't know what the, any of the, like, I don't even know. I don't know what's happening just because the utterances are so different. There's a lot of like, uh, uh, ooze in Turkish. And like you said, it's just like my brain doesn't know how, like what that looks like on paper. So there's just like no way it, it connects. And I mean, you look at the Japanese characters and they're intense. I mean, well, that's, like, the, that's the thing. So the one thing they do that's like America, like they write out their names on their jerseys in like English writing, right? They use, the, I don't know if it's the English alphabet, but it's the English alphabet, right? So it would say, um, you know, Ichiro on the back would be Ichiro on the back of his jersey in Japan. You yeah. go to other countries, they'd write their, it will Taiwanese. My name was in Taiwanese. So I had no idea what was going on on the back of my shirt. They could put whatever they wanted. <laughs> Even when they, when they sign their name, they'll sign it in, um, your jersey actually said sad ginger on it the whole time. The whole time. The whole time, Brian just said lonely ginger. <laughs> um, burp in his face because they love doing that in Taiwan. 
um, you know, when they sign their name, they have like two different ways. They write. <laughs> Wait, we need to go back. Do, why are people burping in each other's faces? Why not? We need to go down these rabbit holes. We don't need to gloss these over. This is the day we're going to go down these. Okay. Taiwan, right? <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. Okay. First of all, they take us to this place. Boom. This is where you're living. I'm with my wife's with me. And it's a like condo, like hotel place. And I look in the lobby and there's just baseball equipment everywhere. And this thing's like 10 stories high. And they're like, you're on this uh, fifth floor. I'm like, okay. I turn the corner and there's all these bikes lined up. In Taiwan, they move the entire team in the hotel, families, everything. They all live together the whole year. So I'm like, this is weird. So I'm like, can I, we get something to eat? Nothing to eat around our area. So we get in a taxi and this guy is driving like crazy. And he just starts burping out loud. I'm in the car, in this taxi with my wife and I'm just like, excuse you? And he's just like, me? And just kept doing it. And I'm like, babe, babe. And, and the whole time you're holding on because you think you're going to die the way these people drive. And I go back and you, I got my interpreter. You see him at the field. He doesn't go with you like in Japan. And I'm talking to another player. And I'm like, dude, I was just in a taxi. And the guy was burping the whole time. He goes, just sit back in your chair right now and just watch. Next thing you know, guys are sitting over the food, eating just out loud. And I'm like, what is that? He goes, dude, I guess it's just normal for them. It's not rude. It's just part of their culture. I was like, that's nuts. So 100 mile per hour burps weaving, weaving in and out of traffic. Um, so what were some of the other like cultural things that you enjoyed? Well, I guess that doesn't, the, the way I phrased that wasn't really like you enjoyed the burping, but. Yeah, what do you enjoy? So. Oh, there's the two differences between Taiwan and Japan. Japan feeds you like you're in the big leagues. We have our own chefs that are back there and they, you just go up there and tell them what you want. And so every day during the summer, I get like skimme, which is like a dipping ramen that's cold. And I was delicious. Right. Or what does that mean? A dipping ramen. So it's, you know what ramen is, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Usually it comes in, in the water. Mm-hmm. So what they do, what they do, is they make the ramen right. They're making it back there, and then they cool it down, and they put it on a plate, and then they'll give you a little dipping sauce with this, like a soyu, on the side, and you take those little thin noodles, dip it in. I'm super so into that. Like you're, Very into that. It's really, it's really good during the summertime. Seems messy. Seems real messy. I'm gonna, no, mute, I'm, gonna just... I'm, I'm gonna mute. I'm gonna mute Bobby. Come on, dipping ramen, like the noodles are all over the place. I, no, they're not. They're not. They make them to perfection. So you noodles, it's not like spaghetti where they just fall off your fork. They have like a <laughs> little stick to them so they stay together. A little dip. You're not soaking it in there. It's just for flavor, you know? Well, to each their own very amount of dipping. Maybe I, I want mean, to soak you, it. Maybe you just want canned tuna and you're just a boring person. Maybe I want, maybe I want American. Maybe I want their version of a hot dog. Bobby's marinating tuna in Malort right now as we speak. So, so I played in the Czech, and you're talking about like like the food in the Czech. Czech really doesn't have like their own cuisine. They've got goulash, which is essentially like a stew, and they've got what they call kebab, 
Like when someone tells you kebab, what do you think it is? A shish kebab. Yeah, like a stick with skewer. a skewer with some meat and vegetables. Well, that's not what it is in the Czech. In the Czech, it's like a it's like a Chinese takeout box with like fries, coleslaw, some meat, and then like a healthy, you know, push down of whatever the sauce is. So like we're out one night late and like guys like you want to get a kebab and I'm like oh yeah sure I guess like late their late night food is kebab, and I walk up and this guy gives me a box full of garbage i was like what the hell is this thing like where's the stick where's the skewer he's like and then the guy i mean the guys the people in the check they're like what are you talking about like this is a kebab you idiot that's pretty much taiwan taiwan is there's no one there that wants to help you okay (laughs) it's just like what is going on here you have no idea what you're eating you're walking down the street and you're just you're literally flipping a coin you, they brought in the clubhouse, they brought a separate mills from what the players ate. And I'm like, what, what is this? I got like a little bento box. Right. And they're yeah. like, Oh, this is, this is for the Americans. Those are for the other players. So I'm like, no, nah, I'm eating that stuff. And they're like, no, you don't want to eat that. I'm like, no, I'm going to eat it. And they're like, yeah, okay. And they're like, you're not going to like it. I go and I go, what is this? And then he, my interpreter goes, you don't want to know, but I suggest you stick to that bento box. No, thank you. What was it? Was it a cat? I, they wouldn't tell me. Oh, come on. I promise you, dude. It's so. If you guys, do you guys ever play like in Mexico or Dominican or anything like that? I haven't, no. So, Taiwan, I go to use the restroom the first time. There's no toilet. You got to do a little squatting. Yeah, that's a lot, and, of, a lot of the world, yeah. Right, but Japan has it, but that's for people that want to use it, and you know the difference, okay? And they clean up after themselves. Taiwan, okay. dude, I had to hold my breath. Okay, the floor, it's, it's like groundskeepers, like they, it seemed like they scraped the dirt into the clubhouse to clean the field to make it look nice. So you're nice. There's you don't flush your toilet paper. And so you're sitting in a stall and it's like this big, right? And right in front of you is a tiny trash bin filled to the top (laughs) with everyone's toilet paper. And you have to try to use the restroom. No, thank you. I just went went ahead and decided to be constipated for the next month. <laughs> Wasn't going to happen. Billy, you sound real first world right now. Why can't you can't adapt to a, a, sh- a shit, uh, a shit bucket next to you. If, if there's one thing I will not do is a trash can full of poop in front of me. Okay. That's, your, that's where you draw the line. Unfortunately, in some of these countries like the Dominican, they have bad plumbing. Same thing in the Dominican. The first week you go to Dominican, you are going to have, to use the restroom you're gonna have to blow the restroom up because your body adapts to the new food and it just flushes you out right i was in the clubhouse they couldn't even flush the toilets so there's just shit in the club in in the toilet while you need to use the restroom and you don't you you have to go or it's going to be in your pants 
I, I feel like this has turned into a plumbing podcast. Yeah, we we probably got to move on a little bit from this, but, but uh, I, don't, I mean, I don't, these all, I don't want to move on from these this. These are I'm the perils doing. of playing this, in this some of the these best. other countries, though. This is amazing. It is, because, look, the quality of baseball, obviously, is really good in all these countries. The experience is really great, but people never hear about this side yeah. of the stories, you know, what you go through. Yeah, and they had those squat toilets awesome. in, in, in Turkey as well, and some of the smells in some of those places was profound, where it was just like, I can't, I can't be here. And the thing is, like, you definitely get used to it, I'm sure, but at the same time, we're all still humans, like, they're no different than we are. Like, they have to f- be affected by that as well, it's just... That's why the e- Eastern Europe different. is tough, tough people, good, tough nostrils. We Americans are soft. We're soft to our own bodily fluids. Very- very soft and yeah i mean if you they just know it's going to happen they they're there for it i mean you do get used to it i mean japan was totally different i mean obviously that place we had our own sauna we have hyperbaric chambers it's just there like a holographic butler or something i'm telling you man it, that place is it's it was really special man. i would have loved to have been there forever you know but it was just, we were there for that earthquake, and that just changed a lot of things for us. Yeah. So let's let's talk about a little bit of the, the stuff that's going on in Major League Baseball right now. Um, two, two of these are notable that I want to get your opinion on. Number one is netting and the fan experience from, let's say, Japanese baseball to American baseball. Can you compare and contrast the two? And how boring is American baseball compared to, like, Asian baseball? Oh, so during postseason or the World Series, American baseball is next level because they're loud, screaming the entire game. And that's when you really highlight baseball, right, is in the postseason. Yeah. Um, in Japan, it's they're very polite people. They're there to root for their players, and that's it. They're not, they're not heckling, okay? So – in the stands for every hitter that comes up, you have a band or you have just your section on half of the stadium in the outfield that have a theme song for every player when they come up and they sing and then you hit and it's almost not quiet. It's like you hear chatter in the uh, stands and then the other team will start cheering for their pitcher. So then it gets loud. So that's all you hear all game is like, pretty much cheering for one guy or the other guy. So that's like the main difference with fans is just they're there purely because they love their team and entertainment for their family. Americans go to baseball games to get hammered (laughs) and see if they get to see someone run across the field. Hell yes. You know, so like Japan, they come there you interact with the players. So I live right next, or the fans, I live right next to the field. So they would know when you come out of the clubhouse and they just stand straight line and they just want to high five you while you go by. Right. Not while you one go autograph. home. <laughs> they don't ask for autographs. They don't ask for anything. Really? They just want to see you. Um, when you're at the field, it's kind of like, they know like now you're working now. Can I have your autograph? And it's like, yeah, of course. 
But I mean, you, you see these people every day because you your next door neighbors with them. They know where you live. So uh, the fan experience is, is they're both obviously amazing. I mean, MLB is like nothing like it, you know, but in Japan, it's like you, all you're doing is listening like, like a competing like drum line dude, the whole game, which is, is also really neat. So how do you feel about netting? Because I know the net, they have netting pretty much all the way around the, the, from like foul pole to foul pole. Is that right? So every part's a little different, but yeah, they have netting all the way out. And especially they try to cover the first, first um, layer of the seats, right? And which I don't understand, like here's, we have netting behind home plate, which is the tickets everybody wants to buy. Or they want to buy ones where they sit behind glass in a box, right? So um, you'll never, after one year of netting or your first game, you won't even notice it. Once people stop talking about it, you never mm-hmm. notice it. Plus netting's thinner now than it ever was. Like they have some really high-tech fibers now. Where the netting is like so thin, it's it you almost don't think it would be safe, but it's it's like I can't remember what the fiber is called, but it's like a uh, I think it's called Dyneema, which is a climbing fiber that they use for super lightweight climbing ropes because it's crazy strong. It's like stronger than Kevlar and all that stuff. And yeah, like some of these new nets they've installed are just like they look like a spider web. There's like nothing to complain well, they about. Do. No, I mean there's another thing they also do that probably could benefit us benefit the the U.S. is that in every section they have a security guard right and they also have someone that is in charge with a helmet and a whistle that pays attention to the game so if there is a foul ball or a line drive into the stands or even a home run like four different people that are responsible for that section they're blowing a whistle so hmm. everyone in that area knows, well, that's our section. Look out if they're not paying attention, which yeah. is a huge benefit because not everyone pays attention. So if you start, you can't hear a whistle on the other side of the stadium, right? So you're, it's not going to freak you out. They make people have their natural reaction because they're paying attention and it gives them that extra second maybe just to put up their hands or protect their loved ones. Hmm. So there's clearly some thought behind fan safety, whereas in the major leagues, it's just like, you paid your ticket, uh, deal with it, right? Like, Well, that's the thing. Is like, I don't think it's so much about the club, right? Um, it's about the fan. The fans are the ones that are like, you got to remember, majority of your tickets up the line, those are season ticket holders, Okay. So they're the ones that are saying, we don't want the net there. We don't want the net there. Yeah. I guarantee it. Mm-hmm. You know, they blame it on MLB, but yeah. they also have a product they're putting out on the field. So I guarantee it's the people that own those season tickets are like, I don't want a net in front of me. So you brought up a good point, like something that, that we could do here uh, with the whistles and stuff. You know, what what would you change if you had to take something from from Taiwan, Taiwanese baseball or Japan baseball and bring it here? Like, what's the big change you think you would suggest for – for the MLB? Well, look, just put the nets up, right? What you can do is they have them in some stadiums in Japan. They'll have a section right on the, on the, the foul lines. Okay. So you can charge a little bit more. They sign a waiver. You put helmets and gloves in every chair. 
and they call it like the uh, the thrill seeking area. So you're literally like right there, and line drives are so it kind of like shoots out where you, it depends on the ballpark, but they go like this and they shoot out and they'll put stands right there and people know what they're getting into and they go sit there if they want to see the net. Mm-hmm. That nobody notices the net. Yeah. yeah. And then also what they do is, is if, uh, you know, if you're on offense or you're the home team, it's kind of different, but people want foul balls or players to throw balls up. One players can throw that up every time. But what also they do in Japan is to keep people locked in. Like they, they just start throwing dolls in the stands if they hit a home run or something like that. So just interaction. You just got to stop talking about the nets, do it, and nobody will notice. Gotcha. What about, um, so how do you feel about since you were in the Moneyball draft, which at that point didn't really affect you. You're just part of like, you were one of those guys, you know, in their first draft. Um, how do you feel about the analytics wave of baseball? Do you like the new game? Do you watch much baseball these days? How do you feel about it in your soul? Wait, you don't have a soul. How do you feel about it in your spirit? Okay, so my draft was like Michael Lewis wrote the book, right? So um, we didn't know anything about it, obviously. Yeah. Like, we got drafted. And then all of a sudden, Michael Lewis, he started writing the book, and he came around, and that's how it became the name, which because he wrote the book. Mm-hmm. But everybody knew, was like, we didn't know. The analytics stuff was, at the time, being generated around – the big league team. And that I think maybe was their first draft class with it. So it was kind of secretive of what they were doing. So they had different looks. If you look at the draft that we had, we had a lot of guys that shouldn't have been or weren't projected to be first rounders, second rounders, third rounders. So analytics was a small thing with good ideas early, right? It was a way to, save money for low team to still have quality players with a chance to win. Now it's turned into every hitting coach from teaching three-year-olds to big leaguers is like up launch angle, low off. It's gotten a lot of hand and just, it's not what it, I don't think it's designed to be was these things. If you do these all in a group, these four things we have a chance to win now it's like you got to do this that this that and it just doesn't really have an end goal besides oh my launch angle did they draft you because you had any special like obviously kevin euclid was had an incredible play play discipline right like he had really high on base percentage in i think it was college um did you have any special magical talents uh nope only that um, I think I was just one of those guys that slipped in the draft and I happened to go in the third round and they like in the book, like they don't, they don't just mention my name. They don't talk about me. They talk about the guys like Jeremy Brown. He was a second rounder senior catcher that just had an unbelievable on base percentage, right? He's the guy that slides in or hits that home run slides in the second base at the end of the thing. He just had an amazing plate discipline. And those are the things they were looking for. They still took guys that deserved to be took in the rounds they went in if they got a chance. But if not, I'm not going to spend $6 million on my 10th pick when I can get this guy for a million dollars for sure. Yeah, gotcha. 
That makes sense. Um, and did that impact your career any, like, as through your development? I know you weren't with the A's forever, but was there anyone talking to you about things you could do, things you could do to optimize your abilities, like any of that stuff, or no? No, no nothing. All that stuff was when we first started was, okay, w- walks to strikeout ratios, like the main thing, just like it was for every pitcher. Mm-hmm. That was, and all still the standard stuff was get ahead. They never broke down analytics for us. That was for them to find players to win with. It wasn't yeah. for, hey, you need to do this. We already know you do it. That's why you're here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So that, yeah, so we, now it's getting into people are getting involved a little too much. Before, it was just a tool for them to put together a quality team. Yeah, it's like what they, you know, they've identified different things that they value over other, you know, maybe projectable talent that, you know, they're using numbers it's like, okay, we value this and this guy's good at it. So let's take him, even if he's not, I'm trying to pull up the, the draft. And it looked like that draft that the A's had like six first round picks Yep. in that, and look, in that 2002 draft. And I, you know, there's, there's a lot of names you'd recognize if you're, if you're maybe you're just a casual baseball fan, Mark Tehan, Nick Swisher, Joe Bland, like those are, those are guys that have had big league careers that that you would yeah. recognize. Yeah, so Mark Martian is a prime example of part of their analytics, right? Nick Swisher was a part of their analytics. Joe Blanton was a flamethrower righty that just got every out. He was going to be a first rounder. Right. Yeah. Those other guys, they were like, you know what? Nick Swisher is a really good plate discipline guy, and let's hope he develops into having great power. And 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 plays well and guess what nick swisher started out with really good play discipline and then he developed power as he went through and developed as a player mark dian great discipline went the other way got on base that's what they cared about they didn't really you didn't go there to change they knew they had good quality players that they can get at a cheaper discount taking them earlier in the draft because they knew that hey nick swisher we can get him for $2 million in the first pick. Yeah. Bill, what was it like growing up uh, as an amateur in California? Because I know there's people listening to this podcast and watching on Twitter and YouTube from all over the country. And depending on where they are, their high school you know, baseball playing son um, might be pretty good for small town Arkansas or you know, even like a, like my town in Maryland wasn't like really like small town, but and it's from an affluent, good baseball area. But uh, it still doesn't like compare to many of the like baseball hotbeds. What is it like um, competing as an amateur in like Southern California? Um, so you basically you have to get lucky, right? So for me, I was always a really little guy, but I went to a high school that had amazing players. Like going in my freshman year in 96, they had a guy named Julian Leva, Steve Madrill, George Tavaloni. Um, these guys were amazing, right? So you're like, you go there, and I didn't play the travel ball stuff. And the guys I was playing on with JV, these guys have been playing together for years. I didn't do any of that. So you start to learn really fast that you either are dedicated, if you're not a guy that's not getting lessons your whole life, or you're not going to be on this team because there's very few spots. 
And most of these guys start when they're a freshman and they never leave the field. So you can be a four-year guy that never sees an at-bat because your bat might be a sacrifice bunt that they needed to put you in for. Because I don't know how they do it now, but back then, like you can leave the game as a pitcher and then hit and then re-enter the field. You never have to come off the field, right? So no yeah. one ever took my spot except for the pitcher. So I was the DH role when I was pitching. So I hit for myself, come out of the game, I'd go to the outfield. Right. So you either are dedicated. I mean, you know very early if you're going to play or not in California. And then it's, are you willing to sit on the bench and try to beat that guy out in front of you or come with us and get a state championship ring? Yeah, because that's a very different experience from, I think, what a lot of, I mean, what probably the vast majority of American kids grow up with in high school. Bobby, I mean, what was your experience? I mean, Chicago's got some really good baseball. There's some really talented high schools in, in Chicago. Yeah, I mean, there's one conference in Chicago, the Catholic League, that's pretty much like it would be in that grouping of best conferences in the country, probably for just all sports, football, baseball, basketball, because a lot of the best athletes can be recruited to these private schools. Um, but my high school was small. I mean, for as much good baseball as there was just in the Chicago area, like my high school was not known for baseball. It wasn't known. It was known more for football, um, and which is most of the schools. But just, you know, how you t- how you said, like, you're bringing up in this in the Catholic League in Chicago, like you're if you're a freshman and you deserve to start on varsity, like you're going and you're starting and you're probably not leaving that varsity spot. I mean, there's some powerhouse baseball schools in like the south side of Chicago where they'll bring in these freshmen and these guys will be four year starters and you get, you know, the next wave of freshmen the year after and their parents are like, well, why isn't my kid playing? It's like, well, the kid ahead of them is, you know, going to be a first round draft pick. Um, there's a couple of first round talents in Chicago right now. And it's, I have some youth kids that go to those schools and their, their parents are like, well, should we transfer? Should we, it's like, no, maybe you should just try and compete and get on the field as opposed to, you know, just transferring because somebody might be good that plays your position, but it's, it's competitive. It's not as nearly as competitive as, uh, as probably California or Arizona where baseball is so prevalent. Another thing is, so all our schools are close together, right? There's a a large population in Southern California. So guys, we had guys had that were really good players left. So my senior year, we were like number four in the country. Really good. Our starting catcher is a first rounder. We had a guy that was a really good catcher, like touted all throughout um, California when he was a kid. He came to our school, left and went to our rival school and caught day one for them. And he just was never going to have an opportunity to play for us. Our guy was 11th pick overall, right? Our source stop was a county player of the year. We had seven division one scholarships come out of that year. Guys that were really good that say we had a guy named Richie Roa, really good center fielder, right? We needed a uh, a good center fielder. He knew that and he knew he was fast. He went to a small Christian school, knew he wanted to play baseball after high school. He made the attempt to literally move across the street to our school and took a shot because when we're playing, we have a hundred scouts every single game. I mean, loaded. We only have seats for 20 people in the stands, right? Yeah. But we had scouts 
from schools and everything lining up the fences. So you're playing one mile down the road from us. They're coming to watch us. So people wanted to play us, wanted to come play with us. And if they did, they had opportunity to get a chance to go somewhere else. That's what happened to me. We had a first rounder. We had a guy who went to UCLA, a guy who went to um, USC, um, a couple that went to UCR. And I happened to just de- get bigger as I was started out 4'11, 110 pounds at my freshman year on the JV team, right? Went 10 and 0 on the JV team. Sophomore you were 4'11 like, and you went 10 and 0 on JV, Southern California baseball. <laughs> Just ha- just just vita vita blue hammers carving them. You have to understand. So that's the problem with JV. You have good players there, but if you're good, you're going to be on varsity, and then every else is they don't care because they know they're never going to get on the varsity team. So the talent level is either okay, you're the next generation, or you need you want to do something after school. So mm. you have good players, and then you have not so good players. But um, I just all of a sudden grew and grew. And then my junior year, I was the number two guy behind Nick Nugenbauer, who was a second-round pick. He was still 98 in high school. And I think I went like 8-0, right? And next, you know, I was the ace the next year. And I was 5-9, and I would just pepper 85. Nothing great. I made my jump big one in college. But the reason I had that opportunity to go to college is because I had, I got drafted at a high school lefty throwing 85. I mean, sure. I punched out like 140 guys. I mean, I punched out everyone, but I didn't throw hard. Right. I think I topped out at 87, but I had eyes on me every game because we had these superstars that were playing not only on our team, on other teams, every single game. Right. And you just had like a Barry Zito hook, right? Essentially, I, I just a good curveball, and my catcher was first round pick. He knew what he's doing. He just knew, hey, you're 85 in on the hands is just they're not going to hit it. Which and back then you, was not as slow as it is today. Today, 85 is like you're pathetic. Like, why are you on this podcast? You only threw 85. I thought I threw 85 100. Back, 85 back then was fast, especially, and it's still fast for high school now. I mean, let's not, let's be honest; it's still hard if you're a 16, 17 year old kid. But oh yeah, it's it's it's, gas, it's not it's not getting you drafted, but it's not getting you drafted. Yeah, no, not maybe not now. Back then it did. I used to win the twenty third round. But scout was like, "Bill, just go ahead and go to college." It's, I think you're a guy that's going to develop. You keep doing it, and I did. You know, I gained twenty five pounds. Uh, after my senior year in high school. But the competitiveness of, of baseball here is like, and you have to play with the travel ball teams or you're going to get left behind. You just constantly have to play, which is sad, and especially what it's turned into now with you know lessons, which is sad, but it just happens, man. I had a guy, Frank Pestori, um, he passed away a few years ago. He's a really good uh, big league pitcher through flames played for the reds and my pitching coach robert lunetta he's like bill you just don't listen anymore because that happens right when you're with somebody he's my only pitching coach i've ever had in my life and he's i started with him my junior year in high school he goes you just won't listen to me anymore 
So my junior year, he's like, you need to go see the guy that I learned from. It was Frank Pastore. Frank saw me six times and said, you're good. I'll see you later. And at the time, he was like $75 for a half an hour. In that's 98. Expensive. It's expensive. In 98, that's expensive. And we were in a public park. That's still expensive now. And 75 for a half hour, it's still expensive. Yeah. Yeah, it's expensive. But you know what? He didn't keep me around and keep doing it. I went there six times. He's like, you're good. I don't need to see you anymore. And I'm like, what? You look at it now. Kids are with guys for 10 years. That's not good. Yep. No. Yeah. Well, the, the point you hit on, which, you know, guy, you have to play travel. Like these guys, you had to play travel ball. Like, are you going to fall behind? That's in the U.S. is kind of looked at upon as like kids need to do other stuff. But everywhere else in the world, that's normal. Like you pick your sport and you go. You know, when I lived, I referenced the Czech Republic, like the guys I played baseball in the Czech with were the guys that couldn't make the soccer and couldn't make the, the hockey team. Those were the national sports. Like if you didn't play hockey, then they then they bumped you down to soccer. And if yeah. you couldn't play soccer, then you were like, OK, I you're guess just human you're garbage. Play. Yeah, you're not worth you, anything. Seriously, yeah. I mean, why really, do you, why like, do you exist? But that's the norm around the world. Like we always, you know, in the U.S., we look at soccer like this stupid sport it's like it takes a backseat to everything yeah, it's we do. kind of dumb but then okay go anywhere else in the world outside of you know go go south of texas soccer go to the go to europe soccer go to you know far go far east soccer. are you saying south like, of texas is, is the soccer hotbed of america well that's just i'm just saying how close like mexico is right oh, up against us you. and and soccer is clearly their number one sport. Like that is what uh, baseball is big in Mexico. Don't get me wrong, but they yeah, not like the national soccer. sport is soccer. Like they or love, boxing, yeah, or boxing. Right. Well, box. Yeah, exactly. Well, you got to understand is that for them is their national traditions. Right. It's not just about that, and it's a way out in some of these places. So you go to Dominican and they are literally not in school. They're playing baseball, right? They're in the sugarcane fields, literally playing baseball and playing baseball on gravel dirt roads. They're not just at a little league field, right? Yeah. So in Japan, you know, yeah, they live it and breathe it, but they still have off seasons. I mean, their whole concept of baseball you know, I mean, they start playing with a really soft ball, like when they're kids. They don't play with hard balls. We play with hard balls, right? And they also know if they're going to be good because a lot of them are really good when they're young. And then the competition steps up and a lot of them fall behind. And then they go and study and worry about school. They all know they don't live the dream. Because if you're just a good player in Japan, you can play in the minor leagues and make great money for 15 years. I said, who was the kid that was drafted and he said, no, I'm going to Japan. You guys remember that guy a couple years ago? I remember the story. I do remember that story. He went, didn't, he just Dude, say, he just basically like, it was big, right? They just said, no, like I'm, I'm not doing the U S thing. It's brilliant. it's brilliant. Let me tell you why there you can make a living, right? I was thinking about this the other day. You can go there. He, okay, he's going to get a signing bonus. He's going to play in their minor leagues and develop, but he's going to make, Sixty, seventy thousand dollars is your first year, depending on what his contract was. But those guys make fifty, sixty thousand dollars first year in the minor leagues, and then they go upwards up to like depending on experience, 
$200,000 a year, and they're getting called up once in a while to the big league. Here, why wouldn't a guy that knows, hey, I'm going to get drafted, right? I'm on that thing. Why not go to Japan if they're willing to sign somebody and actually make money instead of coming here signing for, okay, you get a million dollars, great. But guess what? Your first paycheck in the minor leagues is $700 before taxes. Yeah, but if you get a good American signing bonus, I mean, that could be 10 years worth of Japanese minor league salary. I know one person out of thousands that never made it to the big leagues and got a lot of money and still has money. It's a good point. People spend their money. When you give a teenager a million dollars, okay, you pay your agents, your fees, everything. Now you have to make a decision, right? Are you going to go out and spend buy cars? buy a house, do all these things, then you really don't have that much money. You know, why not negotiate if you're a first rounder? Hey, give me 200,000 signing bonus and then give me five years, a hundred grand in the minor leagues. That way, you know, by your fifth year, if you're going to make it to the big leagues or not. And at the whole time you have generated income rather than just wasting through your money because you don't make any money in the minor leagues. So just to save your, yourself from yourself, is what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a better option. If, if I don't know if you're allowed to do it. I don't know. I've never heard of it. I know guys sign big league sure deals. They, sure they could. I mean, it's just an well, annuity league, that's just the deferring big league it. Deal, the big league deal is that's the thing, right? Because if, they if they're not brought up, then they become they just wipe out all that free agency or that those, those years of control. Like Harper did that. Uh, so – it made no sense to keep him down in the minor leagues. Like he basically signed and signed his way to the big leagues with the way he negotiated his contract. Granted, he was the first overall pick. So you've got more leverage than anybody. I think what you're talking about is interesting for someone who's probably outside the first round, but you could still have, I mean, big leaguers all the time, second, third round, fourth round. I mean, you were a third rounder, right? So it's, it, it makes tons of sense. If you can, if you're okay with being, you know, your dream, if it's not your dream to play for the Yankees or a big league team, it makes a ton of sense to leverage, at least try and leverage the Japanese league. Wait, whose uh, dream would it be to not be a Yankee? Let's back up here. Let's inspect oh, that statement. Okay, this, a there, needs to be an a there needs to be understanding. Okay, this is the problem. Nobody has an understanding of what it's like. It's very difficult to play in the big leagues. Okay. And it's also even more difficult to stay in the big leagues. That's yeah. the hardest part. And to your so point, it's funny. Everyone Did, thinks. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say that have you followed Jeff Fry on Twitter? He was on our show a couple episodes ago. Uh, he gets attacked by a lot of people because he's been attacking people. So just like fists flying all directions. But someone was like, you weren't even good in the big leagues. Like you weren't even as good as like a lot of those other players that played more. And it was just like the dumbest statement. Them trying to attack him. Average. He hung around for nine <laughs> nine years. Nine years. And that's what people don't understand. Like they have no. Like you said, they have no real perception of how hard it is to stay in the majors. Even if you're not playing all 162 games in a year, just to still be on a big league roster ten years later is super duper hard. Sorry. Continue. I, I would argue... So basically, in the big league, so... Go ahead. We lost you for, I was you're say, frozen, I would argue you're frozen it's, for a second. 
I would say it's our, it's almost harder to be uh, one of those four bench guys and, and stay in the big leagues because they're going to constantly bring up guys that are either cheaper or younger or have a different tool set that they may need. Like those guys are, those guys are fluid. I feel like those bench guys, I mean, you really need to have a, a, a niche to, to stay. Well, you know, 10 years ago, you had bench guys, right? And they made great living. They were very happy making a million and a half dollars every year to sit on the bench and fill in and play second base, third base, shortstop, yeah. outfield. They had those players. Now, the contract negotiation is so serious with so much money. Those guys don't exist really anymore. You are a stud sitting on the bench now. Back then, if you stayed in the if you stay in the big leagues for an extended period of time, you are one of the best players in the world. Okay. So many people got to the big leagues. Very few stay there for ten years, right? And it's great, but you will know after three or four full seasons of your trajectory in baseball. And if you don't, then you just are not accepting reality. So why not try to leverage a way for you to make money? If you're a third rounder, you're going to get $500,000, right? Well, you're going to walk home after buying a house, your car, drinking a ton of alcohol. You're going to yes. have not enough money to pay your bills after three years because you just don't know anything about money. Nobody does when they leave school. Half of your parents they don't know how to operate $200,000 chunk of money at one time because most of them never made it. So yeah. I think it would be a better idea to say, Hey, I want five years of making a hundred grand a year. Why not? You have stability and you learn how to work finances. Yeah. I think that's, that's a, a reasonable, reasonable assumption. So I think, like you said, there's been so many, you've seen the stories of all sports where guys spend, and even when they're in the big and they're in the the NFL or the NBA, they're only getting six months of paychecks, but they're spending the same amount that they spend during the season where they're getting their paycheck in the off season. So they're basically spending ten million as they make ten million, then they spend ten million as they're making zero million, and they just their career ends suddenly and there's like, Oh wait, I have literally no money, a lot of super expensive things to pay for, and I'm broke. And that's yeah, it's a, so it's a terrifying thing. In the big in the big leagues, obviously um, you know, you can live the lifestyle with the money that you're making. The minor leagues is different because you try to live a lifestyle with making no money. And yeah. every level you go up gets more expensive, right? So you have to pay for rent, this, that. Even in the big leagues, you have I still have a mortgage payment in my hometown and I'm paying high dollars for a place to live in a big league town because they're expensive city places. Yeah. So Guys don't understand. You're making money. It's great, but they don't realize when it's over is like that million dollar income a year. All of a sudden, is just gone. You still have ten thousand dollar property tax you have to pay. Yeah. You still, they most of them probably still have a nineteen hundred dollar car payment they have to make that they they forget about. It just goes, man. Well, it's funny you mentioned the you know the jobs after baseball is. I was just reading an article about Andre Dawson. He's a Hall of Famer. He is the owner of a funeral home. Yeah, I think, I think it's I think it's in Florida. 
And he's like Big still guy. like a specialist, a special assistant or something with the Cubs. So he's like usually in Chicago a lot during the summer. But like right now, it, the article is just like about him in this business and how busy they are right now, unfortunately, with coronavirus victims and just uh, how, he, you know, he's wearing masks and wearing uh, gloves and just trying to have more empathy than he they already do in that industry for just all the people that are coming through. And it's just crazy. It's like, oh. Andre Dawson, Hall of Famer, is a funeral home operator, like has a regular job. Like you just don't think about that, especially like, yeah, well, especially like I was walking through D.C. I was walking through D.C. the other day and D.C. rent is extremely expensive, like similar to, you know, California, not as high as like San Francisco or New York or something. But uh, you just start to think about what some of these houses cost as you walk by them. And even like the standard, you know, two story brick it's like a million bucks, whatever. So like these nice ones, you walk through these, you're like, all right, that's $5 million. Like that, that house, that's like not even that big. And then you're like, all right, what's the mortgage on that? So it's like six, $6,700 per, per million typically. So that house has a $30,000 mortgage, that $5 million house. And then you're like, well, if, if you're a big leaguer and you make 10 million a year, that extremely expensive mortgage is like a month's work or not, a, not a month's work. I mean, you're, you're paying, you're paying 360,000 in rent. And you're making ten million a year. That's a million bucks a month. That's one paycheck pays your whole very expensive rent. So then you start to think like, God, that's a lot of money. That's just like an obscene amount of money. But yet you said you can still burn through that, which is crazy and terrifying. Yeah, the second you stop getting a paycheck, no matter who you are, even if you're in the big leagues, you made two million dollars that year or whatever. In the off season, you just see the bank account shrink. Oh, don't yep. worry, I'll make it. I'll make make it up next year. Well, yeah, but next year you could just blow out and never play again. So, like, I live in Burbank, right? We live in a 1,700-square-foot home. It's a million dollars, right? So I'm trying to buy a house, and the mortgage guy goes, well, do you have a job? I'm like, "Uh, yeah, but I don't have a contract. Well, so you're not – you don't have any income. And I'm like, no, I don't. They're like, well, you're going to have to – I have to leverage so much money to buy a house. So – I have to put down a ton of money just to get a loan. So right. in the off season, you don't have a paycheck. It's over. Like good luck trying to get stuff done, which now it's impossible for someone to buy a home in California. If you don't, if you have, don't have a good job or making good money. Yeah, that's definitely. Well, it's... I don't think people point out the fact I'm going to cut you off, Dan. I had nothing. I'm glad you caught me. Thank uh. you. Uh, if you're a high school kid, you, your first rounder, you get $2 million, that $2 million, you know, take all the fees. I'll take the taxes. We'll call it one and a half million, 1.5 million. That's going to last you the rest of your life because you don't have any relatable skills other than baseball. You don't have a degree to fall back on. It's not like you can stop playing baseball at 25, which a lot of these guys end up doing that don't have established big league careers and they search and they essentially need to get a job in baseball, but they don't have a degree. So college coaching isn't really something that they're, they can pursue with, you know, a lot of confidence. So they jump into pro ball coaching, which is a career, but those minor league coaches aren't making a lot of money. And if you don't have an established big leaguer, it's hard. You don't just jump into big league coaching. So it's, it's not a career. It's, it's a very risky career path. If you've got a kid and I work with a lot of prep guys and some of them get some interest from these scouts and they're like, you know, what do you think? What should I ask for? I'm like, this needs to be 
life changing, you know, generational changing money. And you need to be smart if you're going to go out of high school and take that signing bonus. You know, I know if you're an 18 year old kid and they're like, oh, we'll give you four hundred thousand dollars. That sounds like a lot of money, like you said, but chop it in half because that's what you're going to get. And if you're smart with your money, maybe it lasts you a long time. But most of you aren't smart with your money. Or even if you're kind of smart with your money, how long is 200000 going to last you? Most people you know, in California that have good jobs will probably some, make somewhere around that. Like that's a year's wage. You're talking about no college degree. And you know they dangle the carrot of, we'll yeah. pay for your college. Like we'll give you the scholarship plan. Get the hell out of here. It's, I saw a stat. It was something less than 10% of people that get drafted end up using that money. So those teams know that they're, that money they put aside, quote unquote, that's not being used because these kids, by the time you realize that baseball isn't for you, you're 25 years old or you, they, you fizzled out like we don't need you anymore. Are you going to go to school now from 26 to 30? That's that makes that's totally Where'd unrealistic. Where did you get that from? I saw it. Um, I didn't see it on Twitter. I saw it. I'll pull. I'll pull it up. I'll send it. I'll send you the link. I saw it not too. Was it bright? Was, was it bright? No, it was like an something? article. No, it was like an article. Was it Alex Jones? Was it, was it Alex yeah. Jones talk, talking <laughs> yeah, about this? Right. It was. It so actually came straight Jones, from. I trust it. It actually came straight <laughs> from the White House. Uh, but that's it's even if that stat is wrong, I, you know I played with a bunch of guys. Bill, Dan, you guys all played with guys. How many of those guys went back to school? Not. I mean, I could probably count. I really thought a about it. Of them. But it's probably well. It's what five years after? Or what's the time? There's a time limit that you starts when you're retired. You have two years. You have two years from the time you stop playing to to tap in and start your clock to use that. So if you if you started and then at some point continue, like just continuously take classes, even if it's not a full load, you get to tap into that money that was promised to you. Because yeah. I did, ta- I did. I, I left Murph, my I think you're year. frozen. By the way, you should restart your video. Um, sorry, keep going. Oh, I left my junior year. There he is. I left my junior year of college, but I tapped into that to finish my schooling, which was great because it was actually kind of a source of income um, in the off season for me. You know, don't tell them I'll be that, but uh, guys don't use that. Oh, we How lost we lost Mark. Murph. He's, he'll, he'll I can't, we didn't even he'll, get into Alex be back. Jones with him. He's back. Um, but yeah. that money's not, that money doesn't last. That first round money doesn't last. And to make it to the big leagues, how hard he said it is to stay, you know, uh, this is a big leaguer, you know, Bill Murphy, they're a professional baseball player, big leaguer. It's not easy to stay there. And that money does not last. Yeah. And Bob, how does Andre that money Dawson's work in the big leagues? How does that how money, does work? money work? So you said you get the college money, you tap into it. You said it was like good so, income, quote unquote, but like they give you a check. Do they pay yeah. for the college directly? Like how does that process work? So you negotiate when you sign a little bit, you know, I went to Northern Illinois. They're like, well, how much is it to go there a year? And I was like, well, I'm on a full scholarship. I was like, it's about $18,000 a year. So they gave me 18,000. I think it was 5,000 a year or 5,000 a semester for tuition, 4,000 for housing. So okay. what you had to do was show, show proof of housing and you got your $4,000 and then you had to show proof that you were enrolled in the school. Now, the way I did it uh, to make a little bit of money was that uh, my college paid my tuition if I finished because they want it looks good for the graduation numbers. So if I agreed to finish, they paid my tuition. So I, t- I double dipped like, <laughs> shoot me. What are you going right, to do? So, but that was so a this is fraud. Another thing is too, fraud. 
another thing too, they will never listen to you. Call you and be like, hey, your time's running out. Right? Right. You no, they won't do that. Mine. So I was still all the way up till 2006, 2015 or whatever. I went in 2013 with Josh uh, Hartfield, taking classes on Long Island Ducks team. And I was like, man, I wouldn't mind that. And you can sign in. And I did. I couldn't get it. I was went over to Japan one of those two years. Boom, it's gone. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm you're breaking up. I'm gonna paraphrase uh, for the audience of what you just said. Um, I I went to get my money, and then uh, Japan, and then money gone. Was that was that right? That so he went to Japan for he went to Japan for two years, and his once he left the big leagues or less left affiliated ball, then his clock started. Oh, so even though he was still playing baseball, and see he, I money. think. Yeah, I think looking at the baseball reference, he went back, you know, in 2012, which is an interesting, you know, it's I'm not sure how that works. He went back and was in AAA with Toronto. So I don't know if that clock, I don't know if he gets to reset that clock um, based on that money. But he's right. They don't tell you anything about that college program once you start. I can just the only thing I remember the big league uh, club telling me was we went to spring training and they had a deal with university of Phoenix and they would, you know, they offered you classes, get a a fake degree. Yeah. Yeah. Well now it seems a more, a more real degree than ever, right. With all the e-learning. But university of Phoenix had a program with major league baseball where you could take classes during the season. Like they, they, they tailored it to, you know, to everything that you were doing. They worked with you. But they never said like, hey, you know, you didn't get a letter in the offseason like, hey, Bobby, you just got released or, you know, hey, you've only got a year left to use this college money. That wasn't a thing like they they're not they're not knocking, you know, knocking on your door trying to give you money. Like that's just not how they do. That's not how they do business, which is, you know, I understand. But it's not a you sign that you sign that contract after you get drafted and that you know the last thing on your mind is going back to school and the last thing on your mind is you know even for me I only had one year of college left and not even two full semesters and I didn't school was the last thing I was thinking about I didn't care about school like I wanted to try and be a big leaguer yeah well you were never good enough but uh what did uh what did you I I think it's also probably hard to pivot to like what do you want to do you know, like what, what are you going to study? It's like, Oh, I got to suddenly pick a major. I'm like 26 years old. How did you go? Well, yeah, that process? especially, well, I will, I had my major declared, right? Like I was, I went to three years of, of university, but these high school kids like, Hey, you got to take English one oh one. You're 26 years old, sit in the classroom with the 18 year old kid mm-hmm. and relearn shit that you learned in, you know, your freshman year of high school and yeah, like all, the, all the dinosaurs names and what, yeah, uh, I mean, really, who was on the, the arc? G- what else? Gen ed, gen ed classes in in college are a complete waste of time. Stegosaurus, it's... Brontosaurus, Tyrannosaurus <laughs> Rex. What else? This is, you learn your colors and your that's, ABCs. That's and freshman year in college. Yeah. But I mean, know, is this thing gonna work? No. Hey, there you are, hello, Murph. hello there, Murph. Dude, what's Radio. going on here? 
We were just carrying on See? without you. Uh, wow. People were really none the wiser except for video, but, you know, these things happen. This is one of the perils, oh, folks, well, that's good. Of, of live. You're, you're looking a little bit better now. So for those of you listening, we're here with Bill Murphy, former Major League pitcher, also pitched in Japan and ta- Taiwan, as well as the Dominican and Mexican Taiwan. Winter Leagues. Did I say Taiwan? 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 Taiwan. China, 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 the way our president says it. No, it's um, Taiwan. It's not China. Got it. Uh, but anyway, we some of the perils of doing this show live here on Twitter and YouTube are that sometimes the Wi-Fi just don't work that good, and then we kind of lose My things. N- or maybe we have a technical difficulty like we did with Matt Swope's episode, episode 18. The first eight minutes for me were just terrible. My mic wasn't working, and... We were like, uh, it's kind of better to go live at nine and figure it out on the fly than be late. And maybe people just like don't tune into the show. So we don't know. But anyway, we appreciate you still being here. Murph just put his hat on backwards. You look just clear re- now. Just relocated. Just yeah. relocated to the that's, kitchen. That's sweet Wi-Fi. Good job, man. See, this is this is just I troubleshooting. Mean, it's it's life. It's how life. we do life, it. Life's happening. It's probably my neighbors have my code and they tapped into it probably. Man, you got to cut them you off. You got that good... 5g yeah great 5g i do have impeccable uh, yeah. wi-fi here yeah who are Where? you put your hat back on terrifying <laughs> Mer- Mer- you know, red, do, dude. oh you do know that i'm bald now too yeah you yeah i saw uh i've been watching the show and it's kind of uh it's disturbing yeah kind of scary that's not it's a little weird but you know what it's probably a better look that you just wear a hat anyways i have a very round head so it, it works all right. Plus, I'm just super handsome. So you just like, I, I can't really do anything wrong. You know, it's a lot of sure hand- are. Yeah. <laughs> so what else um, do you guys want to get into? Well, we need a, we need a segue. Where, we need a segue into conspiracies. We we've promised people we've got about 40 minutes left. Um, Bobby, why don't you lead the way on some of your nonsensical? So for those of you who are just tuning in, Bobby is he's a man of many logical fallacies. He's a man of many conspiracies. He is a ardent Trump supporter to a fault. I mean, just let's be honest to a fault. Let's, you defend let's everything. rephrase that. You defend let's, oh, let's every, rephrase that though. You defend everything he does, which is insane. But, I, but on the other I hand, do, but will praise I do not go out of my I way. I do not go out of my way, uh, you know, via social media to defend anything political. I really stay out of fair, the political fair. talk on social media and everything. I fair. just have my own thoughts. And well, let me, no, let but, me get but you your thoughts or his thoughts. I break it down. Let I me think say Bill, I break it down. Yeah, this, Bill, this is talk our, to us. Because you're very, you're you're in a Bobby, very blue shut up. state. Bobby, shut come up. on, I want to talk. Up, Bobby, very blue state. Okay, this is how it all went down for me. When the impeachment stuff was going on, it's just two stories. How is that possible? They are literally testifying to the American people and in front of people and two different people are lying. So who's telling the truth? So I decided I'm going to watch every hour of every meeting in Congress to listen to the evidence myself. And it is unbelievable the way people interpret what is actually said. This person said, this is what happened. No, that was an opinion. And it was clearly stated in my opinion but not on the news. They're going to tell you this is fact, right? So I just started watching and I'll watch what they talk about. And then I'll turn on this channel. Then I'll turn on this channel. And none of them are just telling you the truth. It's all propaganda. It's not really news. It's, it's, it's like listening to a opinion, you know, opinion-based talk show. 
it's like listening to the morning brush back probably the best podcast on the web right now well and that's in part because you have a moderator here you have an arb an arbitrator we, here to basically strangle you with logic when you need it when you need it so first of all then i played with you you are the straight msn dc <laughs> you are. yes Okay, you have zero idea. I mean, literally, I had a reporter yesterday report on an actual story, and the next day on Twitter, hashtag fire Chris Hayes because he reported news and mm-hmm. they wanted to fire him. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's the kind of person you are instead of someone that wants to dig down and just listen to what your moral beliefs are, and that's how you make opinions. Can I can I just say well, that I, I have, have no one, idea? There is you know, one no propaganda thread. There is one propaganda thread that I push on the show, which is pitch calling. I have an agenda that I want amateur pitchers around the world to call their own pitches, and I want college coaches to stop calling pitches for them. And I want I want all call, I just want all pitchers to call their own game. So when you start to I start to get biased there because I have that. I listen to arguments that other people, you know, why why some of these college coaches call their game. Like I listen. And I consider their opinions. And I'm saying they're like idiots by any stretch because many of them are very, very smart coaches. But that's where I get a little propaganda because I do well, that's ask people trying to, trying to support my I'll ask people that I hope I like hope will support my side of it. It's very I think that's a very easy thing to support because it's they tell you when you go to college, they want you to get to the next level, right? But mm-hmm. guess what? As soon as you get to college, people are making money. So that coach doesn't care what you want to throw. He wants to win. Yeah. Because yes. he's making a paycheck. Yes. So you put down the wrong call, right? You're going to, they'll blame it on you. That guy gets fired. He's not getting paid. Yeah. So he wants to make sure he has every opportunity to win. That's the way I view it. Which I understand. I think that's the way it is. I understand that. But at the same time, what I think is broken about the system is, say I'm calling the pitches for Cal State Blewett. Who's to say I'm even worth a damn calling these games? Like, there's no there's no checks and balances. It's not like the GM's checking my work. If we go 24 and 38, it's not like I, you know, like, oh, if pitch calling's not working, let's get a different, well, let's get our hitting coach to call the game. Let's, like, no, there, there right. seems to be no you're, checks and balances whatsoever. You're right. There is a checks and balance. It's the coach. He wants a job. Okay. The pitching coach wants a job. Right. If your pitcher's giving it up, why aren't you doing something for that pitcher? Or why'd you call that pitch? The guy's not going to be around. I coached Mike Basil at uh, Cal State Northridge. He's now at Fresno, won a championship there. He hates pitching coaches unless he likes you, right? You better win. If not, it's your fault. We lost. We lived, we played in a, a, uh, park that is tiny right mm-hmm. so the score was going to be 15 to 12 if we lost 16 to 15 it's 100 the pitcher's fault right pitchers did bad i'm not going to lose my job you don't know what you're doing yeah. that's the way it works they make money dude it's a job that they have to be there if you're only there for four years they want to be there for 10 years or get that better job which will pay them more money so I, right. it makes sense that they want the game to go their way because they have family that they have to feed. But at the same time, they still have an avenue, which is 
teach your catch, teach your catchers, teach your pitchers how to call the game, spend more time educating them. Cause there's nothing that, I mean, and we both know, you know, everyone's in the dugout. We're all complaining about, Oh, that was a strike. That pitch that's like just off the plate. None of us in the dugout can actually see if that's a ball or strike or not. We can't. We also can't see almost any of the tendencies that, that a catcher and a pitcher can see from their vantage point. We have so much less information to call the game from the dugout than the pitcher and catcher themselves do. They're by far, they, they're like way ahead of us as using good information to do it. So we just give them the tools to say, hey, this is what we're looking for. Watch this guy, you know, how he takes a breaking ball, how he, you know, takes a curveball, how he swings through a fastball. Like, look at his stance. Like, here are the scouting reports. We also have them. Like, we can do all that stuff as coaches. I mean, well, college is also a huge uh, shell, right? It's look at me, right? When I was in college, dude, like nothing that we did. Well, I guess it's now the big leagues, but the stuff you did in college was just, you would never think about doing it 15 years ago in the big leagues or in the minor leagues. There it was like, it was all show. Everybody wants to be seen, right? Our pitching coach didn't call pitches unless he knew that guy really well because you don't see your opponents that much yeah so you don't they don't even have they don't have a game plan on those hitters so they don't know anything we i know that right yeah our catcher if he's any good he knows what he's doing he gets to read the hitters and that's great but now there's just it's about money that's the only reason why is they don't want to lose their job yeah that's which fair. Is, right. Which is understandable. But back to yeah, we had a segue. Why are we talking about, we talking about baseball? Right. You brought this up. I this know. is my time to moderate right. the crazy All stuff. All right. All right. So, uh, full disclosure: I have no idea if, like, if Bill likes Trump, if he hates him, if he thinks aliens are real. Like, I know nothing. Let's about all state. Bill. Let's all state our opinions. Bobby um, loves. Bobby like, loves him. Like, obviously, I think he's. I think he's doing he, a good job. I think he's doing knees. a good job. How do you feel about him as a, as a person, Bobby? Let's cover okay. that too. I, I have no, I don't know. Do I don't his, know him as How person. do you feel about his character that he portrays on uh, public forums? I don't know. He's, we he, all know, we feels... all know, we all know a lot about Donald Trump. Let's just be honest with ourselves. You okay, can't say you don't Trump know anyone. Not... So, okay, so, but. We'll get to you, Bill. What, what I, we, need, we, we need Bobby what, to say what he, what he's going to say. I will. How do, you because, feel, how, but... how do you rate Donald Trump's character? If your son, if you could just like plug in someone's character, like he's a, your son's a mannequin, you can just give him anyone's. Would you give him Donald Trump's? Pre two thousand fifteen. No, don't qualify the question. Just answer the question. Yeah, that's but it's but it's so but it's so valid. And it's what Bill is. It's what Bill was pointing so to. So valid. But so valid. In two thousand fourteen or prior to that, you pro like you would be. He's not going to be my number one choice, regardless. Like I would give him my personality because I want a little mini me. But you would you wouldn't be uncomfortable saying like, yeah, I want my son to be like Donald Trump, like. Beloved by everybody. Oh, I, oh, I, oh I'd be got very, I'd be very uncomfortable saying okay, that. I would see, never. But you just, say that. you're not okay. That's fine. Like again, I said he's not my number one choice, but it's not like he's, it's not like he's the worst person ever, especially pre 2014. Now, as soon as he, had, as soon as he decided he was running for president, the whole narrative on him changed, which is why I don't trust anything in the news. And you can't, you can't even deny that that's true because all he's it, Donald Trump has been famous since the since the early 80s like he has been in the public spotlight for decades so like the like the racist narrative like he i saw him in a mo, in a very recent thing he goes i'm right he goes i'm not racist he goes i never said that let's stuff. move he on goes, to bill's opinion we'll come back to your opinion but um so go. you you rate his character as an eight so that just questions your entire moral compass is just broken but bill where, where do you fall on mr trump 
I base it not on Trump, but as what I, I view as values, right? What I want for my person. Trump in himself is just not the greatest person, right? And he doesn't get framed to even look good, right? So it's very easy to see the hatred that people have for him. I mean, you could see it yourself, but at the same time, I base it on, you know, people's rights. Like California, we don't have guns, right? But I know people hunt for food and the other side wants to get rid of everyone's guns. Like, I don't believe in it. And I know the second you get somebody in there, they're going to take away people's guns. And I don't think that they're not thinking for the country. They're thinking it's like, you know, these politicians, they say, I, my constituents, right? So you represent 300 people. AOC represents 300 people. She always says my constituents, right? 16,000 people voted for, and she is giving um, agendas for our entire country. That's ridiculous. Right. 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 So I don't believe in anything AOC saying, but she has a chance to, you know, have all these ideas into our, into our world, into our, in our United States. It's not fair. She has a lot of influence. How many of you guys have ever met your local congressman? Has, did they ever come to your door? They say they work for you. I I don't don't think they're real. I think they're specters. Adam Schiff is ours. I've never seen the guy. I've never even seen an ad for him in Burbank. I heard he's but shifty. He wants to he do it. He's bad. <laughs> he's well, his whole family timeline, like if you if you just research his family, it's like totally connected, corrupt pol- political, you know, hierarchy. Robert, like, name the, name three people who aren't corrupt that people would know. Name name three people that I, you're, you're in politics? You're sure. in, no, just in, in politics. General. I because you think uh, every, literally like, everyone, literally every doctor is corrupt. You don't believe in vaccines. You, I don't. Uh, the, I, mean, I don't. Like, it's not. No, it's not the you, point. You believe I, it's Bill not that Gates vaccines don't is work. Evil. You believe. See, ba- this Bill, is Bill a Gates mis- is evil. I do um, think Bill Gates here. is an evil person, but it, this is a mischaracterization. I don't think vaccines are evil. I don't even think that they don't work. Like I'm sure that a lot of them work. Like the MMR vaccine, I have different opinions on. My whole issue and my point is, you should have a choice. Just same way Bill said, like. He doesn't like he's not a the gun thing like I don't own a gun and I don't hunt. So I have no interest in like I like gun issue doesn't matter to me. But I understand that it matters for a lot of people. So they should have the right to have a gun. Now, I, it, if they have a gun, like it doesn't affect me one way or the other. That's why I don't have a very strong opinion on it. The vaccine thing, like they're say, they're talking about making this uh, coronavirus vaccine mandatory for newborns. Why? What well, it's that that's. It hasn't been tested. Like we're just going to start giving this to babies. Well, let's not that's get absurd. on. Let, let's not get on an experimental thing. That's like that's well, hypothetical. But my whole platform all, is choice. Like you should have. Yeah, the but choice. if your choices affect the health of my child in your same school, then that's problematic. But how is that? How? How? Because if, the if you're works, if you're not vaccinated and other kids maybe have immunocompromised um, systems, but they have then, a vaccine. But they have a vaccine that protects them. Isn't that the whole point of the vaccine? That's not what a vaccine is. It's what a vaccine is designed for. But a vaccine, viruses always change, right? So that vaccine might not cover a virus. The point is, is if the Spanish flu or smallpox, if you're not vaccinated, you can destroy a whole population, right? Yeah, and smallpox is coming back because of some of the anti-vaxxers. People not take that because they're not doing it. It's well, huge that's that's fake news. Bob, that Bobby rejects that. It's not true. 
Where's yeah, why on. isn't I, I? Where's the where's the articles about that? Where's mm. where are the people that are lined up and that are dying? Not that I want to see it. Like this is Bobby's problem. He believes if he finds any article that supports but his opinion, you're just saying it. He agrees. Like, he agrees with say, it. I could but say, but if he doesn't agree with it, he he goes with it. It's. Just, I could say is, something. You're not giving any facts. He's a big confirmation saying, bias guy. I'm just okay. I'm just smallpox regulator coming back. That's the same. This is why same thing. This is why people hate each other right yes um, that's why I hate Dan. right you have to be able to understand <laughs> other people's opinions right so my wife's family are all immigrants right her dad right. is colombian he came here to go to college okay this guy speaks better english writes better than i do better grammar he adapted and wanted to learn right he came here and adopted our culture to take care of his family back home. My wife's mom from Costa Rica, her grandfather's a huge soccer star in Costa Rica. They came here for a better life for their family, right? They do it and they learn English and they adapt, right? People inside of our country are trying to destroy each other because they don't want to listen. They want to argue with each other instead of being like, here's my perspective, here's mine, Maybe we can come to a common ground. Instead, it's just let's yell at each other until someone quits typing on Twitter. And everyone listens to people on Twitter. That's 2% of people are on Twitter in the United States. And they're all extremists, it seems like, or celebrities making money. Love it. Lo- love Twitter. I'm a big Twitter person. And we're not talking about but- Twitter. We're done talking about hitting Twitter forever. Although we have to talk about it on Tuesday with Richard. but um... That's going to be a good one. But that's my my whole issue. My whole point is you should have a choice. Like there's there's plenty of people. Uh, you, there's plenty of examples on both sides, right? Like kids that have been let's just use vaccines. Kids that have been vaccinated that haven't had any effects. Like I was, I've been vaccinated. Like my parents did whatever the doctor told them. And then there's plenty of examples of parents. And there's been documentaries out vaxxed and vaxxed too, where there's anecdotes of kids getting vaccines and immediately having seizures and immediately getting autism. All I'm saying is you should have a choice. Like you should have the choice. Our parents only were mandated. I think it was six vaccines back in my parents are born in 59 and 60. So this let's call it the sixties, six vaccines mandatory. Now there's 28. Now I, I, I'm no, I'm no doctor, but I don't think from 1960 to 1987, there were 22 plagues running rampant through the world. That's not I'm the just, qualification to get a vaccine. It's not, but, oh, if okay, we have a plague, we but, need to get a vaccine. Oh, you have a plague. Vaccinating That's not how it works. Okay, not but how it works. you're just, well, then what is the qualification? Because it's that it medical seems, science improved over time, and we learned more about a lot of medical science to, to protect, like, I don't want to be protected from myself by the government. That's my, well, that is that, a big that's issue. That's a nonsense mind. statement. That doesn't make any sense. The no thing value. is, is with vaccinations, this is even a discussion. also, is. In, they, there's new viruses that come every day. Our population grows. We run into things that we never encountered before. If you don't want your child to have a vaccine, well, then you shouldn't come to school because you literally could still infect. Look how fast this COVID spreading. It's not as deadly as it is, but there's nothing to stop it right now except for being away from each other. Okay, people are getting now affected even more from not seeing other people. We're social people, right? Vaccines are solely to prevent this sort of thing. 
Robert, comment. I, so I'm so, still I'm still so, failing to see. I'm still failing to see why the government is mandating I be injected or my kid be injected with something that hasn't been tested on human beings. There's no study. Vaccines don't don't are not regulated like drugs. Like if you take a pick any drug, you know, a malaria drug, just because it's been touted in the recently malaria, they have to go through numerous trials before they get sent out to the public. And then if you know, if Bob's medical company puts this drug out there and it has adverse effects, it causes, you know, whatever I can be sued for that. Vaccines do not work like that. There's something not right about if you give if I have to mandatorily mandatorily give my kid a vaccine and he immediately develops epilepsy or autism, I have no recourse. There's nobody to sue. Not that suing. And I know we live in the culture of you just want to sue people, whatever. But there is no recourse. It's just that's sorry. Well, like it's a, it's just a, you're a you're a victim. It, that's tough. You're a victim. Here's the counter. Here's the counter. Okay. First of all, we know as a people that some people are going to have side effects of everything. Okay. That's like saying we can no longer have peanuts or peanut butter in the world because some people could die very easily from peanut butter. All right. I don't know that. Right. The first time you eat peanut butter and you don't know you're allergic to it, there's a good chance you could die from it. Right. You're so right. The, the, you're right. The, pur- the purpose is, is like you're trying to prevent the population from being destroyed. They know and everybody knows that people are going to get sacrificed because they have reverse effects of these things. But okay, there's so no. That why isn't it being like why why is there no accountability for vaccines only and we're we we're, we can go on other stuff too I don't that's know the I, point. Didn't, I didn't plan that's on talking that's about not vaccines. but that's not a point to not use them it's just to say okay I agree maybe the there's point. something fishy about but it legally but that doesn't mean we shouldn't use them because if we could have vaccinated but, ourselves but, against the, coronavirus okay but I've already made have. the point I've already made the point that there are I'm there I'm I'm confident there are vaccines that are totally safe but there's one like the MMR vaccine has been. Put, there's been numerous videos, numerous people Ooh, come videos. out. YouTube's really good source. Documentaries. Videos. See, you're not having a c- discussion. You have no counterpoint to this. Your counterpoint is to trust the government, the, which the is main, The main autism the main autism string of thought was a debunked study. This guy admitted that all of his, that he, that one's main study that started the whole autism stuff, that was, he's like, yeah, I made that up. What guy, what that study? Main, that main study, I don't know. I don't, I don't have this. Laundry no, that's my point. I'm giving you I'm giving you information that like study you're not exists, listening though. to the inf- okay and I'm conceding that there are vaccines that are that are I'm sure very safe and they work extremely well but there are others that have zero studies and they're being mandated to people who have no choice like why don't you have a Wait, choice you're saying well, they have zero have studies every, zero studies every vaccine that seems unlikely the whole thing the whole thing about the covid one right now right it's the fastest ever it usually takes two to five years to develop because of human trial. We're already right. in human trial. So the thing is, is that they, they give them to you. And if someone gets sick and they sue, then nobody has them anymore. It's the, it's the same argument with people that are allergic to food. People have tons of food allergies. You can't go uh, sue Jiffy because you died from their product, right? They're, tr- they're giving something to the public. But they're not mandating that you put a spoonful of it in your mouth. 
That's the difference. This COVID vaccine here, let's just stay on the COVID vaccine for a second. It has no studies. It's the first nine people it was given to in Africa, you can look it up, died. The first nine people died. You, well, you're saying they died out. because of the vaccine or they just died because they already had COVID or they already had some other thing? You're they saying were they the injected and they died. They were the ones given. There was a woman. There's a woman in England who took a COVID vaccine who's reporting that she's fine. Like she doesn't have any issues, whatever. There's another study of they're testing it in Africa on on people. I don't know the nature of the people, but if you mm. tell me something's given to them and nine people die, that that tosses at least somewhat of a red flag. So if you don't if you know all the facts, why are, you, why are you talking about it right now? Because you just kind of were on me about it. Do you have you a thought know, on you this? You don't know any. You don't have a thought. Like you don't have a thought. You're. I'm so, giving you information, and all I'm saying is there's people that should the, have a choice that aren't being given a choice. The well, info. These people choice. that are getting them. They okay. Right now we have uh, people right now that are getting injected right for COVID, and they're fine in the United States and they're fine in Europe, but they sign up knowing that they are being human trials. Right. Right. And we've admitted, not we, not me, but doctors have admitted they don't know everything about this virus. So for in my in my head, in my logic, if you don't know everything about this virus, but you're going to somehow corral it into a vaccine, I'd rather just take my chances getting it or I'd rather just just give I'd rather just have the virus and let my body as immune system fight it as yeah, opposed to being injected into me. Yeah, but if we the don't vaccine know prevents you from it. getting it and you could get it and then give it to my dad and then my dad dies, that's problematic. Like, oh, okay, cool, Bobby. Like, you don't want to take it, but you're going to give it to some elderly person that might but, die. But, okay, the, like, that's the point, that's, though. That is like, part of the point. I'm, they're giving it to me, so I'm going to be able to give it to other people regardless. Well, the reality of vaccines is not. Everybody knows that. Okay, it's kind of like vaccines are kind of like to protect you from having to do herd immunity, right? Right, they it gives know, you a little bit of it, not right. full They know blood, right? that not 100% of people get vaccines because 100% of people don't. But the thing is, is you're protected for not taking it because the vast majority of the people do get it. So that's how it doesn't get out of control. So, but the problem is, is the people that if you were to get it, you have an opportunity to infect a greater number of people that also didn't get it or infect people because vaccines aren't 100 percent. you can still give it to people in the population that are not but they don't just give vaccines because they think they're going to kill 50 percent of the population this is so, a terrible conspiracy well, that's... vaccines aren't really a conspiracy maybe bill gates that just all of a sudden quits as the ceo of uh microsoft in january and all of a sudden this thing comes out and all of a sudden he's an expert why do i have to watch bill gates on cnn or these doctors you're a neurosurgeon and you're telling me you know more about this virus than me well that's easily explained which is if you're a news if you're a news station and you can interview dan the neurosurgeon no one knows about or bill gates who everyone's going to read that article they're going to just like try to you know they're going to choose bill that's like the way of news not say it's the way to go it's not to say he's an expert on it it's just like no, well, he's a he's he a should, somewhat relevant well interview, but he, you might as well interview interview Bradley Cooper then if they both have the same amount of medical knowledge. Bill Gates like definitely has more knowledge than Bradley Cooper. How how do you know that? That's totally conjecture. 
Bill, Bill Gates, Gates is, knows about paying for vaccine. And, Bill Gates is heavily invested in medical companies. Right. So I you're mean, saying that two people can't, one person can't have more knowledge than the other about a subject? Sure, he can, but you're claiming so why, that Bill so why, Gates has any more knowledge than anybody else. He's so you don't know involved. That. He's involved in a foundation. Okay, then we can't know anything about any person ever. Like he's involved yeah, in a foundation that's that's concerned about helping people in the world. He probably reads a book <laughs> or two about it. He probably does. Okay, so he read a book. So what? I can read books. I've I've read just as much as Bill Gates. Prove me wrong. Well, let's be honest. Nobody knows about this COVID, right? So Bill Gates is only on TV to tell you how vaccines work and promote vaccines and how great Bill Gates is because he gives away billions of dollars. You know what? All they talk about here, like, is, is the homelessness here, 60,000 people. I got an idea. The only people that talk about it are the people in government, the people that complain about it because they're in their neighborhoods, and celebrities. Here's an idea. How about an entertainment tax? You guys really want to help? How about one of these rich people here in Southern California buys a piece of property and makes a homeless shelter? They don't do that. They just keep saying, yeah. we're going to put... $30 million in the homeless. Well, guess what? In the past year, the tents on the side of freeways have gone so far. It's like, it just keeps growing and growing and growing. You know why? Because we're not allowed to do anything about it. But people want to complain about it. Why? Because it's, it's news. You get clicks. People, it makes you be popular. If you really want to do something, instead of buying a $120 million mansion, how about you get a few of your buddies each chip in a hundred million dollars and build a facility for the homeless? That would they be that, that would solve the problem too easily. You're right. I mean, that's that's a great it's a great point that Bill, Bill Gates is a whole other topic. You know, he's talked about depopulation. His father was head of Planned Parenthood. Like, there's a lot of wormholes with Bill Gates as a person. So that's a but let's transition. Because there's a total, there's so many other things so to talk about. I just want to sum up, Bobby. So if you were, if I was hearing you correctly, you think things should go through pretty rigorous trials before given to the, or suggested to the population. Is that right? Yes, but with multiple caveats, like I want to know all the information about it. You, you ask a doctor about vaccines and doc, and ask any of your doctor friends how much they learn about vaccines in medical school. They spend one day on it. That's but that's, I would that's expect conjecture too, but okay. that's not conjecture. So every doctor, doctor only learned for one day. Every doctor only learned for one day. Ask a doctor. Maybe I the ones expect- that are in charge of vaccines learn for more than one day. It's possible that they learn for more than one day. Maybe they don't. You're just maybe is a maybe leaves it open for everybody. But I mean, you're just generalizing. If you're, every do- every single doctor has to is every single doctor gives the in, gives the vaccine. You don't go to a special vaccine doctor. You go to your your primary care doctor to get your vaccines. How come there is no, there's no class on vaccines. They should, they don't get anything more than a a day, a week on vaccines. There should be a class on it. No, where did you get this? Where did you get this information, Robert? One day I do. One day. He's right about about medical doctors. They do spend like one week on it in medical school, but that's because that's not going to profession. They're learning yeah, how they're to. They're not researchers. That's, yeah. But it's something every doctor gets. On you. Right. Because they have to know how to give you a vaccine. But, but they don't the, have to, the but they don't need to know anything about it. That's, that makes very little sense. Because to me. they're all the same. 
it's there's a the flu shot is the flu shot. So like if I'm gonna get the flu shot, the first thing is like I go to the doctor. They ask me every time, did you get your flu shot? I, the first one I got was uh, when I had my surgery because I didn't want to get sick when I have you know 40 staples in the back of my neck. So uh, I said, did you get one? And did you give one to your kids? Like yeah, we take them every year. I said all right, put it in my arm. If they're taking ask, them, Bill, ask Bill Gates if he's if he vaccinates his kids. He does not. I bet you. Well, he probably also lives in. So Bobby, in the whole state. you it, so he does. So Bobby, it seems like the, you want you want a lot of caution and a lot of um, well researched stuff before administering things to people or even suggesting it to people. Is that right? I want to know why. I want to know. I want to know why I don't have a choice. I want to know why it's mandatory. I want to know what's in it. But you just uh, want doctors to emphasize a lot of care and to be very well thought out and thorough and researched before giving it to people. Sure. But but yet you, but yet you were a staunch defender of Donald Trump touting hydroxychloroquine before it was proven. Uh, is it has it not been has he not been proven right? Well, He's definitely not been proven right. Let me step in here on this one on your blood. There's something called when you're getting attacked by something, you want to bring hope to people. That's what they ignore. They had people that tried it. It worked for them. He's, and first of all, this notion that my sister has lupus, right? There's no shortage. She was getting it. And we live in California. The thing is, is uh, he's saying we have something and we hope it works. Speak to your doctor. They, they didn't leave all that part out. Okay, there's a new one that came through. Trump hasn't mentioned it. You'll hear it every day in the media, right? It's the same thing. It's just because Trump said it. It's just ridiculous notion of him bringing something to the American people to calm them down because we're panic people. I go to the store literally like the day after this stuff all breaks out. I literally have to go there to get toilet paper from my house. There is none left. And there is people are panicking over toilet paper and paper towels. I'm in Costco and nobody's putting food in their basket. That is way more important because every yeah. single one of those people if they have a membership to Costco, I'm pretty sure they have access to a shower. So it just doesn't yeah. make sense. People you don't, you don't know that. You, you don't know that. You down. don't know that. Cite your source, right. Bill. You don't know that. I was said I'm pretty sure they have access to a shower. Okay? So people panic, and you have to find a way to calm people down. So you give them hope. You can't just go to the corner store and buy the drug. Okay? It's like when they said Trump him saying inject when he said inject they said ingest chemicals when he said inject and he was framed the question so he turned it into a question to the doctors thinking out loud right and then they turned around and said 20 percent of people have um called them the poison center well i read an article and heard them talk about how they already had a 20% increase because people are already buying more chemicals and products in their homes and are using them and they're getting sick. This was prior to Trump saying something. Yeah, but that doesn't change the fact that it's probably something that just could be framed better. It doesn't need to be said. And also, like, the why are we touting? I get the hope thing. But at the same time, he can say, hey, we, you know, we have a lot of drugs in the pipeline. There's a lot of other ways he could do that rather than suddenly, because some people have a lot of adverse side effects from 
hydroxychloroquine. It's like used for lupus. They're stockpiling right. it. There's issues with the stockpiling because then people couldn't get it right. who needed it. There's a lot of ramifications that probably make that a problematic, questionable choice of just things to ramble about as he rambles in these meetings. Right. Sure. You're absolutely right. He should never. Okay. He can mention that, right? The thing is, he kept pouting it every day and it was annoying. That's yeah, and, then the he, problem and then he stopped like, very abruptly. It's stopped. annoying. It's annoying, right? So someone gave him information and he runs with it because he wants to be that guy, right? And then the press, on top of it, they ask him questions or they go on TV and talk crap. Well, he wants to make a point because if he's right, he's a hero. If he just stops talking about it, they stop talking about it within a couple of days. So it doesn't make sense. Him rambling nonsense is just ridiculous. The guy's a ridiculous person. It's a matter of, do you want to know the truth? Do you want to, do you have moral values that you want to see this country move forward? That's where you have to debate because to say he's not, he's not that bad. He's just not a very likable person, but as a president, he's not that bad. Yeah. I, would, I mean, I would tend to agree that I don't think a whole lot's changed. I got a great tax break. Um, he doesn't seem like he really has screwed that much stuff up. He's very, I think, very incompetent in general. He's a terrible communicator. Um, but anyway, but that's, so that's that's your opinion, though. Like, well, he, of course, we could just call, we could call to, everything an opinion. But that, I think it's objective. Right. You, there, there are good ways of communicating. Communica there are good ways of communicating, which guy. are being clear, which are being clear, sending out consistent messages rather than conflicting messages, rather than rambling. But that's a than, okay. That's a communication style, like. So, that's the idea of entertainment, right? That's the whole yeah. idea of Trump. He's an entertainer. And that's the whole idea of like the news now. Like For instance, CNN is no longer a credible news source. Chris Cuomo, I, I, he probably was sick, right? But the guy, they, they did this whole reveal of him coming out of the... Oh, that like was brutal. It was, it was all fake. He literally got in a Twitter debate the other night and literally just messed up his whole timeline of him leaving his basement for the first time on national TV and telling everybody, you know, on TV, stay home. You need to do this for us. You need to do that. But during the holiday, he goes 30 miles away from his house with his entire family and then doesn't tell anybody. He, everybody thinks he's locked in a basement, not around his family. So yeah. people believe this guy. They believe him. And he's literally just doing it to get people to watch his show. I, he says, this, these, are, these are facts. Well, then give me facts and don't let me literally watch a news conference and watch you take a clip that a journalist asked Trump a question and they frame it as this is what Trump said when all he did was answer a question that you asked. You proposed the question. He answered it. But they make it seem like, oh, now, okay, for instance, yesterday, um, they asked him, hey, I, we hear that you are going to have um, you guys are thinking about taking our debt away from China for the, over the COVID stuff. And then he answers the question with going like, uh, that's a little much. The dollar is very important. Da, 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 da. You know, we could do something like this, but we're going to discuss it depending on, you know, how this happened. You know, maybe it was an accident later that night. It just says Trump is already strategizing how to punish China. When they asked him the question, it's not like he just talked about it. No, oh, I agree. They That's, asked him a question. Headlines are yeah. crazy misconstrued, extremely misconstrued. Yeah, they, it's ridiculous. All they did was ask him a question 
about not paying China back their money. And he said, that's too much. That will hurt our dollar. And we don't want to mess around like that. It's just, it's just he's, weird. You made a good, you made the point. Like he's not as bad, he, he's not as bad as he's portrayed to be. He's not as good as his most adamant supporters are claiming that he is. He's somewhere in the middle. He's always been somewhere in the middle. You know, my, my big point about him all the time is he wasn't portrayed as he is now prior to when he decided to run for president. Like he was a media darling. He was, he had his own show. He was very popular as a person, you know, his morally, whatever. Like, I don't, I don't look at anybody that's in show business or anything morally. Like I don't, they're not, they don't affect me. They're not my people. Well, you, you have a strong opinion about, you have a strong opinion about Bill Gates being evil. Yes, but why don't you have that opinion I for do. Trump? I think, he, I think he's evil and I, I do think he's evil, but, you, but, you don't have, but, you but have he doesn't affect neutral, my life. But you have a very neutral opinion on Trump. How is that life. possible? Trump. That's why I, I don't think Trump's your, evil. Your I've said this. I don't, Trump, I don't think Trump's evil. But I don't Bill think he's Bill, evil person. Bill Gates is? Yeah, I think he's an evil person. Again, my That's opinion. Fascinating. It doesn't... That's just fascinating to me. Okay. I don't well, think how Trump's is evil. I think he's a, just a, a horrifying, immoral person. Great. Then great. You can think whatever you want. Yeah. You can think whatever you want. I don't... You're... You're disgust with every every opinion I have about this guy. It's not disgust. It says a lot about you. Yes, it does. No, it's fascinating. I as I observe how anything. wrapped up you are in in his in defending him. You're just extremely. It's like your Who's personality. To... It's like your personality is very involved in in his personality. It's like you can't not even handle him being. Doing the only wrong. person like who brings him up is you. If you watch any episode here, I never bring him up. You're the only person that brings him up. No, I, I bring up our care. conversations because it's. I don't even. <laughs> I don't. I have zero. If you didn't bring up Trump, I would never talk about him. He's an entertainer. It's the thing. Yes, and he's good at it. He's he wraps himself up in media. He gets all the press. That's literally how he won the election. Yeah, for sure. He he occupied every amount of airspace or excuse me, uh, airtime on TV the whole election season. Like he's good at that. He's always been good at that. He's never been portrayed as like a terribly like a like a racist evil person prior to the election. That's not saying he's not. Maybe he is. Another thing is, too, is like we make it seem like Trump is the one that did it. You know whose fault it is? And this is why they hate him so much. It's CNN and MSNBC. They put him on TV every day when he was running. It was a terrible idea. And now they just they're they it's their fault and they know it. So now they do whatever they can to, you know, it's all about power, money, views, because media is dead, right? There's great reports. Like I love listening to this guy named Tim Poole, right? And he's, oh, great guy. He's, a, he's a reporter, right? He, is little, he says he's biased in one way, but he's more of a Democrat. Trump is more of a Democrat than these far left people. I mean, they're just taking over the party and it's like, guys. Like, we just want to be Americans down the middle. We want to be able to live our lives. You guys are all up there fighting over power instead of for the people. And that's the difference with politicians that were all politicians. They've always want power. Who stays in office for 20 years? How do we allow that? Right. No, it's the term limit thing. You can't even bring it up. And now... Congress are like their their raises kick in. They get their yearly raise, whatever, 3%. Like it's kicking in and they're taking that money and they're on recess. Like they're not voting. And it's it's not just, it's, 
there's everybody in politics. Like I, I'm not a big government person by any means. And I live in a blue state where it's like, you know, two state senators have just sued our governor for extending the stay at home, you know, saying he's overstepping his, uh, his constitutional powers. And, you know, a couple of these places have no, like they're smaller towns, not Chicago. Um, cause I live in the city, but there's smaller towns down South that are, you know, they don't have any issues with this virus. Like basically people are going into poverty with, you know, staying at home, not working and they're suing the governor and it's, he's, he's almost like a dictator. And again, I don't listen to a lot of, uh, like, I don't even know it's May 1st. I don't know who's open, who can open for business in Illinois, but they're suing this guy cause he's overstepping. And it's, if you only watch the news, you're only going to get stuff thrown in your face about one way or the other. Like if I watch the news in Chicago, I'm going to get very pro governor, pro mayor of Chicago. Uh, but let's back up. You said regardless. because he's overstepping. Who's this? I and mean, that's a leading question. I mean, are you are you saying he's overstepping or are no? They're suing him because I don't they're, know if he's overstepping. I don't. Claiming, I literally haven't. They're okay. claiming he's overstepping. Okay. They're claiming he's overstepping his constitutional powers. Um, like I just got kicked out of Menards three days ago because I walked in and she's the girl's like, you need to wear a mask. And I was like, why? She's like, because we need you to wear a mask. And I was like, well, I don't have a mask. She's like, well, you can buy one for a dollar. I was like, no, thanks. I just left. Like, OK, if that's your if that's your store policy, fine. But now it's I in Illinois, you have to wear a mask. If you go outside the house, you have to wear a mask, which is one of the things they're suing over. Um, and then they're also suing like. You can go get your dog's haircut, but you can't go get your haircut in Illinois. So it's like, <laughs> it's it well, kind of absurd. Like it's like they're not allowing people to to go back like to work. So if I was a hairstylist, I'm I'm not allowed to make any money, and I'm I can't I can't get unemployment. You know, I can't get uh, I've got my twelve hundred dollars maybe. Like they're not allowed. So they're. At what point, I guess, is why more of a why question. Why can't they At get unemployment? Point? Why can't they get on the PPP thing? Because a lot of these, well, for one, the PPPs run out. Like, I applied for it for my small business. We haven't gotten it. Um, there's, I know a lot what of people I, haven't gotten it. Did you go to a big bank or a community bank? Well, you have to go to your bank. You have to no, have you a, don't. Yeah. yeah, you do. You have to. So I, so I tried to go to a small community bank, but I didn't have an account with them. So if you don't have an, if you if you don't have not done business with them prior to February, you can't apply through their bank, which is fair. Like I understand that. That's not exactly um, true. My brother's a banker, but you have to you have to like. Well, I'm not op- allowed open, to open an account, stuff like that. But could, they, they they're very but their rules were February, right? So if I if I wasn't I wasn't doing business with any of these banks other than Chase, which is obviously a big bank, um, prior to February, so I had to apply through Chase, and all their money ran out, which okay. Um, but whatever. So there's like people that are waiting for money, you know, in much worse situations than I am. You know, I'm not complaining that I didn't not getting it or anything. Uh, but at what point are you are people should have the choice or be allowed to work? Right. Like if I'm a hairstylist and I want to open and it's only me and whoever I'm work, you know, working with in there. Why is that not allowed? I don't know. I don't know the right answer. I'm just I mean, saying. Uh, that- so I live in a very big state. Right. Um 10, 11 million people alone in LA. So the first week, okay, I'm an essential employee, right? So yes, I noticed people now, this is what's hurting people. Okay. 
you have two people at the top. They're fighting over what we should do, and they're just going to keep fighting each other, and they're forgetting about the people. People are now doing their thing. People are getting hurt the most are people that actually have these businesses that they won't allow to open because everybody else is working. Everyone. Construction still going on. We just tore down a bridge on the five freeway. It's in a great Burbank. time to do it. Yeah. Oh, you know what I mean? <laughs> that would never happen. They would have, they, I mean, they shut it down and it was not a big deal. The streets are being more full and more full every single day. I go into home depots every day. They let 150 people in the line is way out the door. Right. Okay. So they're, they're saying majority of America are staying home. Well, no, they just can't go to work. So right. them staying home is not the reality where you're, you're yelling at people on the news that I can't believe you're, you left your house. That's like a fraction of like one person saw a group of people, right? Or a mayor of a big city like New York tells people to stay home and the next day they see him out doing dumb stuff. Right. So now they're just really affecting people's lives and they're not giving us what we need to hear other than, Hey, you either stay home or you're hurting the country or we need to open up or we're going to be destroyed. Well, we're going to be destroyed both ways by both sides because they don't really care about what we're doing. They want to debate politics. They want leverage in the house. They don't really care about us. They want leverage of things that they want to pass like that. Hey, you want your people to go back to work? Well, we want this. You want people to go back to work? You need to pass this. So now they're using us like pawns. We're sheep and people listen or they don't. And I'm telling you, people are out. The streets are filled. They're oh, just, yeah. They just people can't go in, to restaurants. People are in Chicago. People- but that's, but that's like, that's the point too, right? It's like what, what deems essential? Like, why is why can Walmart be open where there's there could be any you know, hundreds of people in there at one time, but the local restaurant can't be open or the well, hair salon can't be open? Those are very different businesses, drastically different. I mean, I'll give you the but reason the, but because essential... Walmart sells Walmart sells things you need to eat and clean your house. Sure, and such. but okay, but the restaurant the, doesn't. The money you need, to, but the money that that hairstylist needs to buy that stuff is a her business is essential to her like who's to say it's not essential so are you making the argument that people? every business is essential because that's essentially what you're doing which is for each individual person not a, not a good argument i think bobby's argument is this the grocery store is just you're more likely to catch something you're moving more but you're touching more items right yeah for sure something like a barber shop doesn't have that many people in it so why isn't it that that is the area where they're destroying people for opening up a barber shop you might only have two people, three, four people in a time if you live by the rules. The grocery store is always going to have 150 people in it and 100 different people touching 100 different things that you might touch. That doesn't happen in a barbershop. A restaurant- Which I agree with, yeah. It's very understandable. A restaurant is you have a better chance of catching something because you sit at a table that someone's infected. But a barbershop is ridiculous that people are literally saying barbers in Atlanta are idiots. Well, maybe some people are comfortable with preparing their store to protect you and themselves, and other maybe other people aren't. So let them choose. Okay, you can right. choose to stay away. Right, but it's yeah. I don't just I don't disagree. It's with essential. That. Like uh, yes, I do agree that I like uh, what Dan said. Like, am I claiming that all businesses are essential? Yes, to to each individual person. 
that might be essential. Like if you have no other way to feed your family but to go cu- open your business. Yeah, but that's and not and the point. Hair, that's that's like clearly not the point of them deeming but, what's essential and what's not. That's not that's not you're the point right, of it. But now it but now we're six weeks into it and now they're deeming what they are they're mandating what's essential and what's not when it's different for everybody. Like it's like you Dan, you do your business from home, which is awesome. Like you're you're able to keep working, you're able to keep doing everything so you can still make your money. You know, for someone who I just we just keep using barbershop because it's the example on the table for someone who cuts hair that you know that's all they do that's all the, the only way they make money and that's it's hard for me to look at let's if bill was a barber look at him and say hey i get to go to work you stay home that's just how it's got to be like no, it, it, you can make an argument that the grocery store is the most dangerous place to be during this time and yeah. and you can make a valid argument for that and you can make an argument that you know, the barbershop is the safest place that could be open, but he's not allowed to be open. And, you know, a tattoo parlor. There's only two people in there. One guy giving a tattoo. I know tattoos aren't essential. Like you don't need a tattoo to live or to go about your daily life. But the guy giving the tattoos has no other way of making money. Like he's his family. He might lose his house. He can't put food on the table like he should have the option to open. You don't have to go in there and get a tattoo. You don't have to frequent his business at all. But he should have well, the option to open. That's why I'm glad our attorney general stepped in and said, look, we're going to have to start protecting people's rights because we all have rights. But at the same time, us as individuals have to do the right thing. And it's understandable that people, they need to work, man. But we know that restaurants just, you're going to have to do takeout. Right? Yeah, but you don't have to right. sh- keep shutting down every business where you might not have a large gathering of people. Oh, you want to hear my theory of how this all started and spread throughout the whole country? Yep. Oh, absolutely. Sporting, uh, sporting events, 100%. That's how it got so populated. Sure. I, mean, I, I believe that. They came from all over to go to Florida, to go to Arizona, basketball games, NASCAR. All this stuff was all going on during this time. Hundreds of thousands of people all over the country. They say it's so contagious. They were all sitting next to each other and then go back to their town. You say you can affect three and a half people. I mean, they had to be the ones that started it. Sure. I mean, it could, it could have been just from one sporting event, right? Like it could have been the, whoever, the golden state warriors. You just, you go there, three people spread it to three people. Like the whole, the whole thing of it is with the, with shutting down, like, Who's to tell somebody else that they're not allowed to make a living, you know, the doing government. what they do? The government. Right. Okay. But the, is that, is that, the gov- is that where you, yes, they is are. that who you, is that the world you, is that the country you want to live in where you yes. see that it's different because you're I like, do. I'm not allowed to work right now. I, I run, I run a youth baseball. Like we're not allowed to practice or anything. And I've been abiding by that. Like I'm not, but you know, it's it's it hasn't hurt me very much yet in six weeks. But if this goes into October, like I've got bills to pay at, at some point. When is it? I'm not saying it. That doesn't that doesn't mean that if we're allowed to play, we'll use my business baseball. Like if we're allowed to play baseball that everyone that I'm making people come and play like they're obviously have a choice. Right. Like they're going to have the choice to come to practice or to be around other kids. And I've sent out questionnaires actually asking that would you be comfortable with your son or daughter being around kids and practicing and you know touching the ball that other kids touch 
and it seems to be about 80% are comfortable and 20% are either no, or they, they're not sure yet, but who's to say, like, why am I being told that my business can't at least have the opportunity to make money where, and I, I use Walmart and Walmart has a purpose, right? They sell a lot of things you would need, but Walmart's also the biggest business in the world. Like they make the most money they can afford to, but that doesn't have it, that, but that doesn't have anything to do with why they're allowed to open. They're allowed to open because okay. they sell but essential allowed, items. Okay, but they're allowed to open, and I'm not allowed to open, which is not. It, it's not that doesn't feel like freedom. Doesn't feel like the U.S. Doesn't feel like okay. Feel then, like every, then, then everyone's open, and we just spread the disease like wildfire. I mean, like you can't have it both ways. It, it's going to happen no matter what because, first of all, we already know that vaccines take the quickest we can get it is a year. You can't lock down everyone for a year. There's just, they have to live. So it's a matter of, they keep saying, okay, as soon as uh, Trump said, we got to open our country, it was the opposite hasn't stopped, right? Saying that we're being selfish if we want to go back to work. That is not reality. The reality is, is people are going to eventually and already are going to suffer. They need to have money. And now it's become an issue that, People are like, I'm making more money on unemployment. And the people that apply for PPE loans, they can't get their workers back because they're making more money. Right. Okay, you have to make a decision. The vaccine is not going to be here tomorrow. And the one side keeps saying it, it needs, we need testing, 5 million tests a day. Well, not going to happen. So you're going to tell us we need to sit down? L.A. County just offered a... Every citizen can get a test today. No problem. How come we can do it? Nobody else can. Maybe they say you... there's no test. Mayor Garcetti said that we were lucky that we never had a shortage of tests in LA. We tested everyone that wanted to be tested that was in the symptoms. And now we have a, we can test everyone in our county. What? But then it's, it goes, you know, when someone that tested positive, their recommendation is 14 days of quarantine, you know, isolated by yourself, and then you can come out. And so that's the recommendation. So with the with the fatality rate, like all deaths are terrible. I, I totally am on board with that. But if it's, you know, less if it's I don't know what the number specific percentage is, but it's definitely less than 1% in the US have died from the coronavirus still terrible but it's well you're shaking your head no what's what's incorrect about that isn't it like 60,000 deaths and only a million confirmed cases that's six percent no that's, it's well more it's a yeah it's 20,000 in New York to, alone but yeah, if, well the thing is is there's more people infected than we know about. that's the whole thing that, that's, yeah, it's that's, not that's an actual fair. death is it, rate but is it six times more than we know maybe I don't know but it's, right now it's a million cases in the U.S. But, approximately and 60,000 deaths that's six percent so you can't say it's less than 1% with any certainty. And I know you're big on certainty, Bobby. I, I am saying it with okay. certainty because I don't, there's not, but you have if no, there's only a million, if there's only been a million people infected, period, then we have 300 million people. And so it's 0.3% of the population. We're shutting down the population for 0.3%. I don't think that's the case because I think there's more people infected than have been tested. Like I could have it right now. I'm not tested and I'm also a survivor of it. But at what, what what's the... At what point do we say, do we open up? Like, at what point do you... Okay, but let's go back and settle this 1% thing, because you get on me when I don't have something to back mine. 
There's sixty thousand deaths and a million confirmed Where cases. Where are you getting sixty thousand deaths? Where are you getting sixty thousand deaths? That's 60, from like the deaths? CDC numbers or whatever they release is, every day. Is that the U.S. The or is that worldwide? That's the U.S. There's over twenty thousand New York. Where? Where? Bill, show Bill, me the number. Bill. It's I'm not going to pull in a freaking that. podcast, dude. I'm not going to pull the numbers up. It's definitely. You ask me to pull up stuff all the time. Bill. There's like, a, I think it's the numbers like at 5.6%. There you go. Uh, there's 60 something, low 60s. It slowed down a lot. It went from like 52 a week ago and jumped up really quick to like 60. And then it's been quite less since then. But the numbers are, they're not, they're basing it on worldwide numbers. It, right now it's like at 3.4%. But they know as professionals that it, the actual rate is probably around. 0.03 and it's still two three times deadlier than the flu it's just a matter of they need to agree on a way to open okay so are you stay this is a question are you staying home if there's a 0.3 percent chance of you dying no it's six percent are chance you, in the u.s right now one point, ju- you just listen just, you asked for I bill's just, opinion i just you pulled just up the data right here it's right here 1.1 million confirmed sixty-three thousand nine hundred eighty-two deaths Six percent. Okay, are you st- are you staying home? Is that keeping you home? Is that a, would you? Is that I have no. a 90, 90 Okay, so okay, no, no. All right, but you don't have the like you work from home. You don't have the you can function your life normally other than maybe yeah. But I'm going to stay home because if I get it and I give it to my dad, then my dad might die. He's in that six percent range. I'm probably not. People thirty four years old are not dying at a six percent rate. People 60 and up are, di- are dying at a 6% rate, which includes, okay, my, which includes my dad, which includes okay. my dad, which is why Great. I That's, don't want everyone I, running around to maybe give it to me, to maybe give it unwittingly to my dad, and then my dad dies. Okay, but we keep point. using your I dad, heard. but how is your dad going to get it if he, if he continues to shelter in place? Because I'm going to see my dad at some point. I want to see my dad again. But you—that's your choice. You can. Okay. You can so you're see saying him I'm killing my dad. So you're saying I'm killing my dad because if I ever see my dad again, what are you talking about? You can you're, see your you're father it's from my a choice. safe distance. You're the one no. talking about your father. Like that's no, how this whole thing works. That's a consideration. Argument, Robert. Holy cow! The, the thing is, we right now we know we were told we need a lockdown to slow the rate of infection. Right. Well, we did that. That's what they asked us to do. Now they're saying we have to do it because we don't have enough tests. Well, that wasn't the original thing. People wouldn't have stopped if they were told that you can't go to work for six months. There's just no way. The thing is, is that we know that who it affects and it's a matter of how we're gonna go about protecting those people. You do not have, eventually, until you get to a vaccine, those people are gonna be at risk. Mm -hmm. It's a matter of how selfish you wanna be to go see those people, my father, in that category my mother in that category my sister in that category i can see them on facetime until we have something i'm not going to go and put them at risk but that doesn't mean that they can't still figure out a way for people to make money and that's something that one side says you are a complete jerk if you think and have that opinion when it should be okay i'm with you i'll still work my hardest hardest no i didn't protect that's not what i'm saying at all you're saying that i that i'm telling you to kill like you're going to kill your father no i'm not bill just stated it perfectly like yes your father might be in that high risk category i i agree that's okay i get it so you can take precautions to Mm -hmm. to keep him as safe as possible without 
not being without the government telling you you're not allowed to make a living. And you're a different case because you can make your living. But like currently, I'm I'm not in that case. I can't make a living right now. Like I'm not allowed to make money. So, okay, yes, like, yes, I also don't want my father who's 60 years old to catch it and and pass away. Like nobody wants that. But I can also take precautions until it's deemed safe for him and his group, like that group of people without ruining like everybody who who needs to make money at this time. Like there's a there's a balance there. It's yeah, not I one I or the disagree. other. I never just dis- never disagreed with that. But you, when you, you're are your your central premise of every business is essential because we need money doesn't really fly because then everyone's out doing everything and it spreads it's again. A, it's individual. It's essential to the individual person. Like I'm yeah, not. But that's I can't like everything. Tell me the. That's just. I'm just saying that's well, not a good way to define it. A good way to define no, it is. There's yeah. never really a great way to define anything. The thing is, is that half of the half of the population say and listen to government that they're going to take care of them. But we're all starting to see in the reality is that is impossible. Okay. And this is where now the tide needs to change in. Let's do our best to find ways to protect until we can not everyone stay on lockdown. And that's the issue. It's one side or the other. And it's people telling you that you can only do it this way. Everyone has an opinion. You just got to do it. Yeah, yeah I mean, so you all have a choice. Like everybody has a choice. I if if I'm Dan, if I'm you and I'm concerned about my father, like you're expressing right now, like you can also stay home. Like yeah. you, there's and I, and I'm not advocating for someone who may be sick to like actively go seek out seek out the people that are at risk. But if I'm I just we keep going back to hairstyle. If I'm a barber and somebody comes in, I assume they're I'm going to assume they're not putting me at risk. Like I assume people are good. They're not going to put me at risk for a haircut, but I should also be allowed to be open to, to make money, to provide for my family. Like if, if we're being mandated to stay at home and I'll sidetrack here, that $1,200 stipend that was given to people is not enough. And it's not, that's not holding anybody over. If you were lucky enough to get it, you know, maybe you guys got it or applied for it or whatever. That's not enough. Like the, you can't keep the country on lockdown like this and also not give them something to, to you know, to pro- provide like halt mortgages, you know, push mortgages off for six months or do. I don't know what that would cause, but you have to give them. You can't just tell them, hey, you've got all the bills and you need to feed your family, but we're not going to let you work and you got to stay in the house. Like there's well, the got to be some kind of thing. I, I lost a, I lost a, fam- a family member to coronavirus. And the her family couldn't even be there. Right. That's terrible. Yeah. And another thing is, is that they know who they have to protect and they didn't do it on the East coast. They did not protect those communities and they act like they can take care of us, except they couldn't even do it with the one population they knew from the very beginning that it affected most. That's what's frustrating. And people still think, that they're going to take care of us with just testing. That's not a reality. And to think it's reality, it's not. It's just they know that this is what's said by a person that just says dumb stuff all the time that puts him in a hole and puts everyone else in the country in a hole because the other side wants to do the complete opposite. And majority of the people listen to him. And it's just ridiculous instead of having real discussion about 
how to do this. And people don't want to listen. They want to attack each other, but. Well, I mean, it sounds we like there's, well, there's no, there's no like, there's no blueprint, right? Like we don't never had this before. There's no like blueprint, like, okay, this is how it's, this is how it went in the past. Like this is how we can do it in the future. We're kind of following the lead of the, uh, like the far East, right? Cause they, it hit them first, China, Korea, and China, China, China. Say, say it right, China. please say it. China. Say it right. Yeah. In Wuhan. And like China's open. Not that I believe anything that comes out of China. I'm just no. for the sake of conversation. With you there. Is With China's, you there. China's open. So people here are seeing that and getting more and more restless. And Korea had better testing in the beginning and they're open. But people here like see that. It, apparently. If you're in New Zealand, right? like so pretty people, much. Yeah. Yeah. Which begs a question, like, why do some of these places do it? You know, have they fared better than maybe U.S.? More competent has? leadership, they, I think. They don't. No, they That's don't. Not. That's not what happened. They chose options, right? We chose an option of slow the spread. They said, nah, we're going to live our life and just go for the herd immunity. They knew what they were getting into. They were going to sacrifice people. But as a, a thing, they try to protect each other. They still social distance, but they just didn't shut down their country. The virus, they're going towards herd, herd immunity. Let me give you that so I've lived in a foreign country in Japan. You just can't trust anything except what you know that's going on in your country. We had a 9.0 earthquake. Fukushima power plant shut down. We're being told by our team, everything's fine. You don't need to go. Well, I can't watch the TV on J- in Japan, right? I had to get and watch like CNN on my computer. And they're saying... It is a disaster. This nuclear plant could be killing people. I got me and my wife got on a plane and went straight home <laughs> because we were told everything's cool except we couldn't get food or water because they had already got it all from the stores. They're telling us, ah, you'll be fine. It's just a nuclear plant. Here's a mask. You'll N- be good. NBD. And like, yeah. And we're, we're just like, uh-uh. That's scary. <laughs> watch American news. Get out. If you're there, get out. And we just got on the next flight and left so hmm. it's just people just need to learn who to listen to they say listen to the scientists well why am i listening to you uh chris cuomo Get, let me listen to a scientist that's not biased that's gonna give me some bullcrap thing show well, that's me the point right like you hit it like, not biased because you could if you really wanted to dan could find a scientist on one side i could find a scientist on the other or vice versa like there's I would find a, I would gonna, find a real real scientist though. You think you so? You would find Bill Gates. <laughs> yeah, right. But like, it, so it, there's that's why these different news outlets like Fox News won't parade out the same doctor that CNN does because they want the doctor that's going to agree with their opinion. And there's and there's doctors on both sides that have both that differing differing views on what to do. You know, there's I incompetent people I don't, everywhere. There's there is incompetent people everywhere. There's yeah. also there's also reasonable people like like Bill and I, and then there's Dan. Right. Yeah. So, but there's yeah. the whole point is that you, is that it, like, I mean, Illinois is an example that our governor is telling you what's essential and what's not when he does, you know, something that's essential for you might not be essential to him and vice versa. So yeah, it's, but that's the wrong way no, to go about that to say that what's essential to me is essential. That's just not the right. What you're saying is, and I under, and I agree with you that barbershops are probably something we could say, okay, yeah, that's probably a safe enough business to reopen. What are other businesses like it? Okay, some very low occupancy, you know, don't have to have, they're not like rubbing each other. Um, okay, but like bars, nightclubs, 
mm, probably not going to reopen quite as quick as maybe the barbershops. So you can't okay. say because barbershops, everything, you can't do that. Um, okay, but there's a, but, but the, the example you're using, I'll argue with you. Yeah, like the nightclub that has the capacity of 300 people in a small space. Yes, discotheque. you're not, we're not, right, the, the club, you know, Club Doug, like we're not going to open, like we can't allow you to open because you're going to be too close to each other. Maybe we can allow it. Maybe we can modify it. Maybe you can only have, if your capacity is 300, Which you can is only fair. have 30 people in there. That's fine. But, okay, that, but, that's, but, but to your point, to that nightclub owner, it's still essential to him, which is yes. why I disagree with your point, which is why I disagree but, with your point. But he could, but he can, he's not being given an alternative. He's saying you got to stay closed. Like he can't open for, let's say, three people in his huge nightclub to come and order drinks at a time. Obviously, okay. that's unrealistic okay that. for them to make money. Yeah. What's so would I. What's upsetting people is that the governors are overreaching beyond their power. For one, nobody thought the American people would shut down, and they did it. And now they're making it worse by extending new orders to people rather than being like, okay, we trust that you guys are still going to follow these guidelines. Instead, they're saying you cannot do this, which is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, there's guidelines they could put out there for, look, every, let's just say, let's just blanket it, right? Every business can open, but if they're, you can only have one person per 20 square feet of your, the size of your business. Let's just, I'm just throwing out a random number just for the sake of, so if, yeah, if I'm a nightclub owner, okay, I can open, Maybe it doesn't make it. Maybe it doesn't make it's cost effective for me to open a five thousand square foot facility that or you know bar that I have when I can only have whatever the number would be out. You know I can only have a hundred people in there, two hundred people. Uh, maybe it doesn't make sense for me to open and I stay closed. But at least you're giving him. Uh, he has a choice, right? Now the business that that's just the nature of the business he's in. Maybe you could have okay, a Zoom, like, Zoom, Zoom discotheque. We could do that. We could do could that. Do we have a little party. He could do that right now. He could do that right now. See, let's see what's going but on. But he's. But you Bill, can you like set the guidelines. Like, yeah, there's like, not really guidelines. There's guidelines being set, and then there's also people being told, like, you don't fit. You can't do this. And I just think that's wrong. I just personally think that's wrong. Okay. Yeah. Well, I know, I mean, and I understand how it could be unsafe if you open up the local bar and there's stools every three feet, and these people are basically spitting on each other i know that i know that's unsafe i get that that's going to be unsafe but you maybe tell that bar owner like look you have to these stools got to be 15 feet apart now you don't have to open but you could open and have three stools 15 feet apart and make a little bit of money for yourself like you should i love that i love how we we're going to talk about conspiracies and we just went on covid just the <laughs> All right, Bill. Government. Bill, last thing because I really, I do have to, I do have to run here. Run. Did you see the alien UFO picture that the government released? Like the those pictures, the one from the Navy. Yeah, yeah the guy yeah. from uh, Sublime, maybe or Blink One Eight Two released it like a year ago first. But did you? Yeah. So the, okay, so they sent it out in the public. Like, where are you at on aliens? Interesting. Yes, this is. We should have been talking about this earlier. You got to come back on. So, I. I want to hope like my grandma, my mom's mom had a story that she swore. Like she said they were, she was flying back to the East coast and a pilot came on the thing and said, we have three objects outside of the wing and then they were gone. Right. So I've always believed in them and I don't think there has to be life. There's so many galaxies, right? There's so much universe that we don't even know about who says there's not life somewhere else. So some of this stuff, like, come on, 
do they really want to trick us that bad by showing this footage that the Navy just released saying, yeah, it's real. We don't know what it is. People don't believe Dude, they got to be out there. Do well, you think men in black is a documentary? <laughs> no, that's well, ridiculous. Well, one, oh, of the main, on one of the main issues is that there's, there's no habitable planet within like some enormous amount of light years away where even if you're traveling the speed of light, like, it seems completely unreasonable that anyone would be able to reach Earth. That's one of the main, I think, like astrophysical problems with aliens, is that we yeah, have a pretty decent narrow, idea. You get a little narrow view there because it's uninhabitable for us, but maybe not for whatever is out there. Well, no, I, and well, their technology is greater than ours. Yeah, but if your technology is going the speed of light, and there's still a problem, but we, we will cover this in another show. Um, Murph, this was fun. We'll have you back on here as a panelist. We'll get a bunch of guys and we'll get it deep into aliens in the next month or so. But thanks for being here. Murph, is there anywhere anywhere people can follow up with you on the web? Do you care? You guys you guys can follow me at um the morning brushback or (laughs) Coach Dan Blue. Perfect. You you heard the man. Thank you for being here. We're gonna sign off. Be sure to subscribe, leave us a review, and we will catch you here next time on the morning brushback.